Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Check this out. On the weekend. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. We have gathered here today to enter this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterword. A world of never ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything, you Yeah. 
the theme song for The Nightmare at Union Square, as dubbed by our lifelong listener and occasional caller, BJ, from Jackson Heights. The Nightmare at Union Square, and it certainly was. But it's been a little more than 24 hours, and we certainly can now look back and reflect on this flash mob violence that took place within seconds after everybody was summoned to Union Square Park by a guy that, let's face it, our listeners out there who average 55-plus had no idea that some guy named Kai Sennett was being watched, make that Senat, Senate, Sanut, whatever, was the number one most subscribed to Twitch streamer in the world, with an average of 100,000 paid subscribers. These are followers of this uh, guy. Paying $5 a month, that's $500,000 in cash alone each month. Never mind all the ancillary uh, money he was making from his 5.5 million followers on Instagram, his 4 million followers on YouTube. And it would simply involve him mostly just sitting in his crib in Atlanta with a bunch of his homies, homegirls, homeboys, just talking nonsense in a house that he bought that he called the Amp House. And that was it. People just observing guys talking nonsense. And it catapulted him to the very top of others who do exactly the same thing in this new generation. This is a 21-year-old guy who was born in the Bronx, went to Frederick Douglass Academy, not a bad school in Sugar Hill, which is between Washington Heights and Harlem. But, oh, boy, the chaos that ensued and followed, the rioting that was obvious for all, as media is taking advantage of new drone technology to fly drones over hotspots, and, boy, they can zoom in and out and actually uh, can film a pimple right on your nose. And we were able to see so much. But before I repeat to you what I said just 24 hours ago with some additions, Let's go to Noam Laden, who is in uh, his uh, news desk uh, capacity, his news director, all day on Saturday. And let's uh, hear his, um, his report from beginning to end. A social media star says he was only in Union Square yesterday to give away PlayStations to his fans, but thousands showed up to get one, and it got ugly quick. Some began battling with police who raced to the scene to control the crowd. Everybody was throwing everything, climbing thing. They even climbed where they was doing the train stuff, and I was. They started throwing paint, uh, fire hydrant everywhere, dust was everywhere, garbage is everywhere, paint is everywhere. I was scared, honestly. Some broke into a construction site, started throwing materials at police. Paint cans, bottles, rocks. You had people walking around with shovels, uh, axes, and other tools from the construction trade. And additionally, individuals were also lighting fireworks, and they were throwing them towards the police. They were throwing them towards each other. 
It took hours till police were able to disperse the crowd. 65 in all arrested, mostly teenagers. Dozens left the area bloodied. Twitch streamer Kai Sanat, who was set to hold the giveaway, was arrested. The 21-year-old has been charged with inciting a riot. Inciting a riot and then cut loose. With a desk appearance ticket. Better known as a disappearance ticket. The guy incited a riot. It was all done on purpose, just to add more followers to his stream, more money in his bank account, give him more fame. Actually, not fame. He wants to be infamous. That's how you rise to the top nowadays. If you're a goody two-shoes like Will Smith, you get no play. But if you're Kai Sinat and you cause a riot in Union Square, or as BJ calls it, the nightmare at Union Square, Well, you're going to be remembered a long time. You're not going to be a one-shot wonder here one year and then all of a sudden living in a tenement the next year. So this this young guy knew exactly what he was doing. Others have done it. Generally, they uh, flash mob claiming they're going to give money out, Uh, sometimes low-budget rappers to uh, increase their profile. It's sort of like paying you to listen to radio stations. I mean, some radio stations get so desperate, they say, if you listen at 728 every morning, we'll send you $1,000. If you, in fact, can tell us what was on at 728, that is an air of desperation. Boy, you are really sucking wind as a radio station if you got to give money away for people to listen every day. But this is exactly what this young entrepreneur was doing because he's making money hand over fist. And then he's telling everybody, you know, I was doing this because I want to give back to the community. I want to give PlayStations. I get the hell out of here. And there's some people out there buying this stuff. So unlike other programs that have talked about this on talk TV and talk radio, and they really know nothing about this guy, they repeat each other. I figure I'm going to leave it to you for a second night in a row. Try to interpret what the hell this guy and his homies are talking about. It gets them so much attention, so many followers, so much money, clearly as an influencer. But unlike a rapper or a performer or anyone else, all this guy is doing is sitting around his crib in Fulton County, in Atlanta, Chocolate City, USA, talking trash. Got some girls there, got some guys there, they're young. And others will just watch and pay to watch. Is this not freaky? Is this not like being a voyeur? You pay to watch a group of people talking about trash? I mean, to me, this is so reflective of our society. Now, I have three sons. And because this guy is involved in a Twitch streamer, he's a Twitcher, I'll call him that. He's a Twitcher. I guess the first time I was exposed to this, um, watching what my sons were watching on their laptop, first with Anthony, he's the oldest, then with Carter and Hunter, and they're watching other people older than them in parts unknown, in Korea, in Sweden, in Denmark, all in English describing what was going on amongst gamers, people who were playing video games against one another. 
And they were like analysts. They were like Phil Rizzuto telling us years ago what the hell was going on in a nine-inning Yankee game, although he would always leave in the seventh inning, head uh, on the New Jersey uh, Turnpike to his beloved Cora and Hillside, right next to Newark and Elizabeth. Ah, how I can remember that. Weird, man. Totally weird. Now, I get that. You have a vicarious interest. You're a voyeur. But there's no sex going on. There's nothing titillating going on. It's just trash talk. And you're paying to watch that. All right, it's a minimal amount, $5 a month, but it's still $5. You think you would get tired. Same old, same old. And all you keep doing is putting money in this guy's bank account. And obviously, he's probably taking care of his homies. So I'm going to give you a little uh, montage of a young man known as Kai Sanat who's gotten over like a fat rat, got arrested for inciting to riot in Alvin Bragland, in Manhattan, a disappearance ticket, and he's out. He's out. So if you happen to be somebody out there who wants to imitate what you think is his success, his fame, his infamy, because it costs him nothing other than streaming for about an hour on Twitch, and everybody eyeballing it and saying, oh, we got to get our butts down to Union Square. You know there's going to be more of this now. I mean, all you do is you get arrested and charged with inciting the riot. I mean, excuse me, I think on January 6th, there was a riot years ago in the nation's capital, an invasion of the Capitol building. 978 were arrested. Most of them were hit with inciting to riot charges. Some of them haven't gotten out of jail since. And that was inciting to riot. In fact, we learned a lot about that with his recent indictment with Donald Trump. He was not charged with incitement to riot by the Department of Justice. So we heard all about this term, incitement to riot. Yeah, the Oath Keepers did it. Yeah, the Promise Keepers did it. This guy incited to riot. He got hit with two charges, incitement to riot. He was given a disappearance ticket. It's called a DAT, and said, goodbye. We'll see you in a few months in court in the land of Alvin Bragg, where if you're a criminal, you get cut loose. If you stand your ground, you end up being remanded to jail, no bail. Just ask Jose Alba, the guy behind the counter in that bodega. It seems like a lifetime ago in Harlem when he pulled out that blade and stabbed his attacker over and over and over and killed him dead right on that bodega floor. Gets charged with inciting to riot. You saw everything going on, all the damage, the craziness, the uh, wolf packing that took place even after everybody assembled in Union Square once the cops showed up in force and everybody dispersed, they continued rioting. They continued looting, busting uh, everything they could get their hands on, breaking windows. He gets charged with incitement to riot, and he gets cut loose. How the hell is he any different than everybody who bum-rushed the Capitol and got hit with incitement to riot charges? And we can't say that America doesn't know about incitement to riot charges because we heard it over and over and over in reference to those arrested on January 6th. I don't have any problem with that. 
And in the discussion of Donald Trump, the former president's recent uh, indictment on four charges by the DOJ, having to do with January 6th, and he was not charged with incitement to riot. So we can't declare ignorance. Hell, this guy, he was cut loose. And ain't nobody complaining about it. Oh, I all day long. Anthony Weiner, early Saturday, oh, where were the parents? Where were the parents? Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Where are the parents? Where are the parents? And I'm saying, man, that's not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on the guy who set it off, without which all those young thugs and thuggets would not have been in Union Square. They wouldn't have been acting up. He gets charged with incitement to riot. Similar to what 978 got when they invaded the Capitol building on January 6th. Many of them are still incarcerated. And he gets cut loose. Can anybody explain to me the difference? Excuse me, I I guess uh, I'm just street smart. I'm not book smart. But it would suggest to me that those charges are similar and they should have been treated extraordinarily seriously, and he should have been remanded to jail with absolutely no bail to join his homeboys on Rikers Island, where he could have been kicking knowledge to them. And because of the look of this guy, you look at his stature, it's sort of like, um, never forget, for seven months, this guy was uh, incarcerated on Rikers Island on a gun charge. He was uh, from the... uh, New Orleans, I'm going to give you a little hint, Uh, and he cried like a baby. He actually wrote this in his memoirs, his book. He was in Punk City Protective Custody. He was not even in with the general population, which I've been mixed in many times. Dormitories, cells, Punk City, Protective Custody, the Bing. Spent seven months there and was crying like a baby and admitted it. Who am I talking about? 1-800-848-9222. Hey, look, it's the 50th anniversary of the hip-hop monsters, and one of them was crying like a little baby when he was in Punk City Protective Custody on Rikers Island, and he thought he was the baddest of the bad. Tat, tattooed up, tatted from the tip of his nose to the tip of his toes. Who am I talking about? Hopefully, hopefully some of you out there... Um, are energized and connected because I'm going to take you to the break of dawn. Nobody going to sleep. Nobody going sideways on me. I mean, we got to be pumping and jumping here. As I take you to 6 o'clock, our number is 1-800-848-9222. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's Eva. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. So get up and get, get, get down. 911 is Joe Old Town. Get up and get, get, get down. Late 911 with the late crown. Get up and get, get, get down. 911 is Joe 
just about 24 hours uh, after, as BJ has labeled it, the nightmare at Union Square. Monitoring uh, chatter of thugs and thugettes, and they think they got over like fat rats over NYPD. 66 got collared. And to my knowledge, they all got cut loose, too. <laughs> what, what kind of a riot is this? You riot, you bust up, you attack. In fact, you target the one cop who's in charge, Jeffrey Madry. No friend of mine, but I got to say he stood his ground. Guy has some kind of injury that has impaired him. And, man, they, they were they were attacking this guy, throwing everything at him. He was the number one white shirt, meaning he had white shirt immunity like all the cops who eventually, through civil service, get a white shirt and then through uh, political promotion start moving up the ranks. Uh, Jeffrey Madry was the highest-ranking cop there, number three in the department. He's the one who did the interview uh, once uh, the crowd cleared out. And started going down South uh, Broadway, busting windows, put, pushing over chairs, attacking sheds, attacking folks, uh, having their meals. And few, if any, of them got arrested. And any who did, they got cut loose. In fact, let's listen to Jeffrey Madry, who discussed what had transpired, although he really didn't get in uh, to the personal side of how a lot of the rioters were actually... Targeting him, uh, I know him somewhat, so I'm sure it's because he's a he's a big guy. He's, he's not tall, but he's he's like a, a refrigerator, and he was probably screaming at them. They took umbrage to that. They launched an all-out attack on Jeffrey Madry. In fact, some of the cops that were next to him, they were holding up plywood from the construction site to protect him because it was clear the crowd wanted to take him out, man. <laughs> they wanted to take him out. He had a retreat in a whole food. It had to be like a hundred guys that would just wanted to get, give him some lumps, wanted to give him a beat down. Having been in that position, I can be somewhat empathetic and sympathetic to a guy I don't really like, but he stood his ground and he told us when all was said and done what had happened. About 1.30 p.m., the NYPD became aware of a crowd forming in Union Square. It was quickly determined that an influencer was posted on social media about showing up to Union Square and was encouraging all of his followers to come to the park. There were some posts also about giving away some gaming systems. At approximately 3 p.m., the post went viral and thousands of people began to arrive at Union Square. Soon the park and the surrounding streets were overrun with people. It was struck in both vehicular and pedestrian traffic. Traffic. The NYPD responded by calling a mobilization in response to the large crowd. As the crowd grew, so did our mobilization. The crowd was swarmed when the influencer finally arrived at the park. Individuals in the park began to commit acts of violence towards the police and the public. Well, he was in control then. But boy, was he pissed off. In fact, uh, in looking at some of the drone video, by the way, no NYPD drones. We got a whole hangar full of drones that we paid millions for at Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn, and we barely, if ever, used them. What a waste of money. 
The technology is great. Could have followed the mob as they started running down the streets. Wasn't there. But from some of the drone footage, I believe it was either Channel 2 or Channel 7, they collar this guy, Kai Sanat, and he's got a big black bodyguard. Don't they always have, like, some big black bodyguard who's like a former NFL player, looks like 6'8", 280 pounds, uh, maybe even tipping the scale at 300. And out of nowhere, Jeffrey Madry just, like, charges the security guy and gets up in his face. I said, yeah, get him, hit him. And then the other cops restrained Jeffrey Madry. Well, he had the right to get angry, man. They targeted him. It was like they were shooting mortar shots at him, man, and the guy had to duck for cover. Wow. Nobody, see, nobody reported on those nuances. There's nobody who knows what it's like to be in the middle of a riot other than yours truly, Curtis Lee, who has been in my fair share of riots, especially in the summer of 2020, uh, and the riots that would always follow the demonstrations over George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, which became big, large mansions, Antifa, and they'd end up rumbling with me and the Guardian Angels at some point. Not always, but at some point. Let's go to Paul in L.A. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Paul. Hey, what's up, Curtis, man? Listening to you from Hollywood. Hollywood, like it should. <laughs> Say, I want to take a guess at uh, the guy you were talking about who was uh, in protective custody on Rikers Island. Yes. Was that uh, the cat named Takeshi69? Close. He was in federal. Oh, yeah. He was in federal custody because he ratted out the Bloods. You know, he was a tough guy doing his raps, and then all of a sudden, the Bloods kidnapped him, snatched him right off the street, beat the hell out of him. And this guy, who looks like, I don't know, what's the best way to describe him? He just looks weird, man, Paul. This guy just looks weird. Takashi, uh, sixty-nine, and he basically became a confidential informant. So they had him in a federal camp for a while. Then he got cut loose. Uh, you close, but no illegal Cohiba cigar, Paul. Oh, my man. I'm going to try, try next time, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang in there. Yeah, make sure you don't turn that Cohiba into a blunt. He didn't get that. Let's go to Mike in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Is it a little lame? Yes. Yes, who that? Who that? Who that nation? Uh, tattooed up. His, uh, his, he had diamond caps, his teeth. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everything. But remember, in the Super Bowl, when New Orleans was in it, he became sort of the mascot. Who that? Who that? Who that nation? Uh, everybody embraced him. Everybody loved Lil Wayne. Uh, Little Wayne tells two stories. Uh, at least he's a truth teller when it comes to stories. He's laying up in his crib, I forget what ward, Fifth Ward in New Orleans. He's smoking weed. He's playing with a gun. And he shoots himself and almost kills himself. Shoots himself in his three-piece set. Uh, he was honest about it. He said he cried like a little baby then. Then he gets locked up because he's on his tour bus when he was at the top of the rap world they were going up to Broadway, 
Forget, what was that? What's the theater there on Broadway? I'm forgetting that, Mike. Uh, maybe if you don't know it, somebody does out there. one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. And the tour bus doesn't make it to the theater because some cop with a big schnoz smells people smoking weed. They pull the tour bus over. They catch, naturally, Little Wayne, who was a weed man, smoking uh, blunts. They take him off. They do a search of the luggage, and they find a gun. Everybody ends up diming him. He gets convicted. He goes to seven months on Rikers Island. He writes a book about it as if he was doing time in Folsom Prison. And he was crying like a little baby in Punk City because he was saying, I ruined my life. I don't want to be here. I mean, Mike, what, what, what kind of a man is Lil Wayne, Mike? Well, I got, he was in difficult circumstances. Yeah, crying like a little baby. A little Mama Luke like that Frank Morano never seems to want to come back here and work. He's always on vacation. But Mike, you nailed it. Lil Wayne, who that, who that, who that, who that nation? What a... God, although he told the truth, crying like a little baby when he shot himself. Come on, man, man up. You shoot yourself in your three-piece set because you don't know how to handle the gun. <laughs> Mommy. You're in Punk City Protective Custody on Rikers Island because you couldn't be with the general population, man. They wouldn't have cared who you were, Lil Wayne. They would have said, Lil Wayne, you mine. He's crying like a little baby. See, all the all, tough, I'm tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then all of a sudden, they're in a real bad circumstance like Takashi 69 or Lil Wayne, and then nothing but Mama Luke's. Don't believe the hype. Please, don't believe the hype. Let's go to Nico in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Nico. Yeah, Curtis. Um, yeah, you you got it. All right, you got that answer. But I have another question for you. Why don't this guy who's making all this money, who's going to pay for the cleanup? Why don't they let him pay for the cleanup? Very good, right? But they just cut him loose. You would have thought they would have said, okay, we're remanding you to Rikers Isle, uh, Island, no, pay, uh, no uh, bail. You're going to stay there. Uh, you're going to have to come up with some money because, man, there's so much damage. Not only that, i got to tell you, Nico, uh, when the mob left Union Square, oh, by the way, can I call them a mob or are we going to get a call from the mayor in Chicago who's going to chastise me for calling them a mob of young thugs? Can I call them a young young thugs to you, Nico? I mean, what are they? Yeah, yeah, young thugs, young thugs, yes. So anyway, it wasn't just the damage in and around Union Square Park, which was extensive. Once they left, once they brought in the TPF, the Tactical Patrol Force, these are the men and women in the department with hats and bats, and, you know, they look tough. You know, they're flexing. They're not like these other toy cops who showed up. My God, no hat, no nightclub. And I'm looking at them, and the, and these young thugs are going in and out of them. They, they're like transversing the line. I'm saying, oh, my God, these cops are going to catch a beatdown. But anyway, all the damage on the way down Broadway – Probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're exactly right, Nico. It's sort of like put up money. We're going to put a fund together so that everybody can be made whole again. Plus, we're going to sweeten them up a little bit because of the damage that you were responsible for uh, bringing that mob together and inciting a riot, Nico. Amen. Keep up the good work, Curtis. That's a brilliant idea. Nico is spot on. 
This guy is, like, filled with cash. Have him put up cash, not for bail or a bond, but to pay for all the damages. Now, if you're going to have a, a gathering for Veterans Day, for uh, Memorial Day, they force the American Legion of Veterans of Foreign War to pay for the cleanup, to pay for the policing, to post bond. If you're going to have a parade, you've got to pay for all the ancillary services, which is ridiculous. And this guy, you charge him with inciting the riot, and you cut him loose in Alvin Bragland with a disappearance ticket, which is nothing more than a disappearance ticket. Meantime, January 6th, another riot. You arrest 978, charge most of them with inciting to riot. Right, remanding them, most of them to jail, correct, and you cut this guy loose. And I don't hear anybody complaining. In fact, what did the mayor say? We didn't even end up going to the riot scene. I'll tell you in a minute, he was too busy cutting a ribbon at an Ethiopian restaurant that was opening up on Fulton Street in Fulton Square, downtown Brooklyn. I guess he was too busy to show up to the riot. Our children are being inundated by influencers, uh, by those who consider themselves to be credible messengers. This young man yesterday, he had of a substantial number of followers. Uh, people came from outside of the city uh, to be there. And I, I want us to, we're further looking into whether there's some even outside agitators. You don't come to get free Game Boys and bring smoke bombs and bring M80s and bring other disruptive items. And so uh, we believe there were some outside influences that may have attempted to aggravate the situation. Why are you blaming it on outside influences? These are our local homeboys, our local thugs and thugheads. Brooklyn in the house, Bronx in the house. What the hell are you talking about, outside influences? Oh, because the guy, Kai Sanat, and his entourage come from Atlanta now. He's from the Bronx. He's only 21. It's not like he lived his life growing up in Atlanta. He went to Frederick Douglass Academy in Sugar Hill. So that meant maybe until about the age of 18, 19, he was Bronx through and through. But can I hear that again, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who claims to be street smart, wants to blame what P.J. has called the nightmare in Union Square, the riot, on outside. Everybody always wants to blame them on outsiders. Our children are being inundated by influencers, uh, by those who consider themselves to be credible messengers. This young man yesterday he had uh, a substantial number of followers. Uh, people came from outside of the city. Uh, to be there, and uh, I, I want us to, we're further looking into whether there's some even outside agitators. You don't come to get free Game Boys and bring smoke bombs and bring M80s and bring other disruptive items. And so uh, we believe there were some outside influences that may have attempted to aggravate the situation. He's not an outsider. <laughs> If you'd have been down in Union Square, covering the back of your homeboy Jeffrey Madry, who you've made number three in charge of the police department, I would have never done that. Never. But you did it. Your boy's getting whooped on, and you're cutting a blue ribbon 
on Fulton Street in Brooklyn opening up an Ethiopian restaurant like you still the Brooklyn Borough President, the Biden of Brooklyn. You're the mayor. What the hell are you doing there? You should have dropped everything, said, yo, I'll have to have my deputy mayor cut the ribbon. No, no, we need you. You, We need you, Eric. No, I'm sorry, this... There's a, a riot going on in Union Square. No, no, you need to be here cutting a ribbon. This guy walks around with scissors in his back pocket. He cuts maybe like 10 ribbons a day. Does he not realize what a mayor is responsible for? I guess not. Every day I hear about his schedule from other people, and they tell me he's raising a flag like he did on Friday down in Bowling Green honoring Bolivia. Bolivia? He can't even find it on the map. I have a hard time finding it on the map. And he's spending his time raising flags in honor of Bolivia and never raises an American flag. Flag day. He never he never raised an American flag. No. What the hell? American flag? Well... He's not a socialist. You know, AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the socialists, the American haters who want to uh, destroy the police, destroy the prisons. On Flag Day, they actually honor the flag by throwing a few of them on the grill. Right, right with their vegan burgers. You see, that's where, where Adams would show up. Oh, vegan? Vegan burgers? I'm there. No, no, he wouldn't burn flags. But I never see him raising the flag. Look at his schedule. The flag of countries we don't even know about. Mauritania, Madagascar. He's there raising a flag every day at Bowling Green. Who's paying him money? You know he's getting a kickback. Did I hear his favorite uh, term here? Kevin, whatever your name is. So many Kevins around here. I'm getting vertical confused. What is his battle cry, Eric Adams? Show me the money. We need the longer edition there, Kevin. You gave that a brisk, you know. It's okay. You can look for that. But I'm sure we're going to need that for the full six hours until the break of dawn. I mean, ask yourself, there's a freaking riot going on in Union Square. You would have thought, okay, Eric, uh, I was here because my friends, my cronies are opening up an Ethiopian restaurant. I'm doing them a solid. I'm cutting them a ribbon. I have no idea why the mayor is cutting ribbons. Uh, for Ethiopian restaurants or any restaurants, maybe because he's going to get free food like he always does, never pays the bill. But he didn't show up at the riot. And his homie, Jeff Maggi, was getting the bejeebers kicked out of him. Hey, look, uh, I have some respect for the guy. If you look at the videos, man, he was under attack. He found a new reason to like Whole Foods. He had to hide in Whole Foods with the other white shirts. Yeah, it was the blue shirts who came and rescued the white shirts. Isn't that always the case, coppers out there? And, boy, those white shirts are really out of shape. You know, they want all the blue shirts. Those are the guys and gals who do patrol to be in shape, as they should be. But maybe they should set an example. Like, if you're a white shirt, you know, like, when your gut is hanging over your gun belt, do you uh, think that suggested you need to start working out in the gym? Hell yes. 1-800-848-9222. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Calling out all thugs and thuggettes. Want a free PlayStation? Time to flash mob down to Union Square as we continue with our special edition, courtesy of BJ of Jackson Heights, who named it the Nightmare at Union Square. Fighting your power, please. Nonsense. Spike leave 40 acres in a mule. Do the right thing, right? Hey, let's have a slice of pizza with Danny Aiello. Oh, that was gone. Oh, what a great film. That was so good. Bugging out. Uh, Radio Raheem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mookie, Mookie, Mookie. And Italians were baseball bats. Isn't that what Italians are always about? Get the bats. Open up the trunk of your car. Hey, are you playing softball with that? Never played softball in my life. Get the bats. Anyway, let's go to David in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, David. Yeah, Curtis, I tell you the name of that uh, uh, theater on Broadway that the Little Wayne was going to. It's called the Beacon. Yes, very good. Beacon Theater. Beacon Theater. Either Little Wayne was on his way there or having left there in the tour bus, when some female uniformed police officer with a big schnoz smelled that somebody was blazing away on that bus, they pulled it over, and that's how he got busted with the gun, ended up on Rikers and crying like a little mama Luke, like a little baby in Punk City Protective Custody. You are so spot on, David. That was the last time I was in the Beacon Theater. I passed it like so many times. I'm trying to think. Oh, well, my oldest son. Annie, when he was a little one, 
And he wanted to go see the musical Thomas Tank Engine. Hey, I was into that. I always loved trains as a little kid. I was a train buff. So I went. It was packed. A lot of parents, a lot of kids, mostly boys, some girls. And my son said it's too loud. He wanted to leave. What? We just got here. But I need to ask all of you because I'm getting a little, uh, I'm losing a little bit of memory about Thomas Tank Engine that I was forced to watch. That was one of the cartoons I didn't mind. Barney, I would have taken a 44 caliber gun and blown him away. I love you, you love me. But Thomas the Tank Engine, I was into it. What was the island that all of the trains were on? And who was the little guy with the top hat? That's an easy question. I'm sure some of you, even grandparents, were stuck with that over and over and over and over. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, that's right. I, I didn't play little snippets of what has put so much money in Kai Sinat and his homeboy's pockets when they sit down at his crib. In Fulton County, Atlanta, nice house, mansion, make mansion. And they just talk nonsense. This is some of the nonsense that they talk, and um, I've had a tough time deciphering it. Maybe some of you out there have a better ear for this gibberish. You're going to have to rate my man from 1 through 10. Yo. <laughs> Hey, but it went up from three. It went up from three. Trending up. Hey, yo, we're about to chug some orange juice. Yes, right? we're about to chug some orange juice yes. right now. Enough talk. Three, two, one. No, hey, yo, word to everything I love, if you try to violate me like this, you're done. You understand me? Nah, because that's you, like, you famous, like, so you bring the crowd out. You feel mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? So it's like, I was never a famous type. I like with less than, like, a thousand followers. Oh, yeah, I don't even, that's not even my health for real. Like, nah, a thousand is beast. I like with less than, like, 10k. Oh, that was less than 10K? Yeah, because now oh, yeah, that's everybody not, yeah. got a thousand now. Oh, yeah, that's not, that's not even my yeah, account. That's, that's not even my account, for real. Like, I ain't gonna lie. Like, that's not even my account. Yo, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, me, I ain't gonna lie. I'm gonna be honest. My, my type two is, I ain't gonna lie. I'm the same way, though. No, I like a girl that don't know who I am. The hell is he saying? What the hell will all of them say? All I did, all I deciphered from that is OJ Orange Juice. I heard the, like, background music. What were they playing? Mario Brothers? Yeah. You violated me. You violated me. Hey, look, the guy didn't sound stupid like some uh, idiots degenerate. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I would say, as a result, Eric Adams said, Kai Sinat is not an outside influencer. You need to. Oh, I, I texted my son, Jordan. Uh, that was the other thing he said. I texted my son, Jordan, are you in Union Square? How would his son be doing in Union Square? His son is like in his early 30s. 
Also, with kids 13 to 18, it shows you. This guy is the black guy. He's the hip-hop man. He claims he's the street guy. I'm the white guy. I'm more street than him by 10. His son would not have been there. This guy had no knowledge of this stuff. I called my son. I asked him about drill rap. Uh, I want to ban it. Man, you can't ban it. And then the next thing he does, he invites all these degenerate hip-hop monsters these drill rappers, to City Hall for a photo op. This guy is like manic depressive. He's like bipolar. I want to ban drill rap, but I want to invite all these degenerate drill rappers to City Hall for a photo opportunity because I spoke to my son, Jordan, and in the middle of all this Michigash, I texted my son, Jordan, and asked, are you in Union Square? Doug? Kid is like 30 years old. He would have been considered a grandpa in that crowd. God, man. Yo, mayor, you are definitely not hip. He pretends that. Meantime, his homeboy, Jeffrey Madre, that he made number three in the police department, I would not have done that, was getting the bejeebers kicked out of him. But he had to cut a ribbon to open up an Ethiopian restaurant in on Fulton Street in Brooklyn. Is that... Is that what mayors do? Anyway, let's go to Fred calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Fred. Hello, Curtis. How are you doing? Okay, sir, okay? I got the answer for uh, two of your questions that you had to... Uh, hold on, hold on a second. I, I, don't like, I don't like the connection, man. I know I got other colleagues here, you know, they put on somebody, the phone line is crackling because... Those hosts are not even paying attention to what the person is saying. That's what it is. Meantime, the listeners have to suffer. I'm sorry, Fred. We're going to blame Verizon for this. Let's go to Dave in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Curtis, what's going on, man? Oh, you tell me. Sir Top Ham Hat. How does that sound, brother? Yeah, what happened to him? What happened to him, Sir Thomas Top Hat? I know, but you know, he got exiled off of what island? Oh, God, you got me on that one, but. Come on, yeah, how many? Ringo Starr was, Ringo Starr was the narrator of that show. I know, but Top, uh, Sir Top Hat, or whatever the hell his name was. Top Ham Hat, yeah. he, He got arrested and taken off of the island, believe it or not, for corruption. What? Yeah. I did the deep dive. Really? I did the deep dive on that because my kid did he was do something like Pee Wee Herman. No, no, it wasn't. That. It was it, it, it was money, like it generally is. Oh. So, okay, sir. Uh, yeah, sir. Tell me the money. That's right. Yeah, yeah, can I hear that? Can we get that right, Kevin? Let me, let me hear that. Hold on. Show me the money. <laughs> Show me the money. That's what it's all about. That's what Eric Adams is all about, David. You, if you are opening up a restaurant, where in New Jersey are you? I'm in Belmar, bro. Oh, Belmar. Okay, Belmar, right there near DJs. You're right on the Jersey Shore, where you consider anybody from Staten Island a Benny that could be ripped off. If you are opening up a new restaurant, all you got to do to uh, Eric Adams is show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. You got that. And he'll show up and cut the ribbon and then want free food forever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, we just came back from Oklahoma. My son graduated from uh, boot camp over there at Fort Sill, and I had to get back to some good radio, bro. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, the Okies from Finocchi. I've been in Oklahoma City, been in Tulsa. Man, that talk radio sucks. That's why your place to be is here at WABC at night when the sun goes down. We are a global it's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. More cowbell, more cowbell. Oh, no, crazy man Christopher Walken here. Let's continue on with Blue Oyster Cult Grim Reaper. Great group, great song from Stony Brook. Like that's where my wife Nancy went to school from Bohemia and had to make 400 pizzas a day to subsidize her college education. Now, she's all Polak. I can't imagine somebody who's Polish making pizza. It just... It boggles my imagination. You know, I'm used to the Italians. They don't do it anymore. Uh, it's the wannabe Italians, the Albanians, uh, folks from Montenegro, and Mexicans. Lots of Mexicans making pizza. Just that, if I saw a guy from Poland making pizza, I don't think I'd have a slice. I really wouldn't. It's the same way if an Italian was making pierogies. Nah, sorry. It's just, it ain't there. It ain't there. But anyway, 400 pizzas a day to pay away through school. 
to feed all these Chinese kids from the mainland, uh, from behind the wall of Red China and uh, President Xi for life. The Red Chinese. I, I think I'm the only one who still calls them the Red Chinese. Am I? Am I not? Because they are. They're the Red Chinese. But anyway, I digress. Every time that I talk about the Gilgo Beach serial killings, I will play Blue Oyster Cult because of the Grim Reaper. And uh, to me, Long Island, which one time was controlled by the Canarsie Indians, yes, the Canarsie Indians, which became, uh, when I was growing up, the Sicilian Redskins, uh, claiming as cheeches and zips that they were Indians so that they could get a license to have a Indian-American casino from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Didn't work, Gavones, from the Gambino and Lucchese crime families. Did not work. But at one time, the Canarsie Indians were in charge of Suffolk, Nassau, Queens, and Brooklyn, believe it or not. And some would say they were the schmucks, the putzes that sold Manhattan Island for $24 in trinkets. To the Dutch. I can believe it. I can believe it. But you see, I'm digressing here. I have gone on record as saying that the signs leading into Nassau County from uh, Queens into Franklin Square, Long Island, should say home of the serial killers. And that when you work your way to Suffolk County, it should say home of where the serial killers leave their bodies. Because for the most part, that's been very true. And I've gotten a lot of blowback from the elected officials and the police out there who have such humongous egos, they need cranes to get them in and out of a room. Slow down, guys out there, you know. It ain't NYPD, okay? Definitely is not NYPD. Now, you leave NYPD to work in Nassau and Suffolk County because it doubles your pay right away. You're the highest paid cops in the nation. I get that. And a lot of our cops in the NYPD live in Nassau and Suffolk or grew up there. Got no problem with that. But when it comes to dealing with serial killers and serial killing crimes, you guys suck. You really do. I mean, let's face it. Since Joel Rifkin and every other serial killer out there, you are always a dollar short a day late. And usually caught up to these guys after their 10th or 12th serial killing that we know of, never mind all the ones that were unsolved. So it gets us up to date the other day, and I, I, I don't understand this. Every press conference now, I don't care what the government agency, it could be the police, the sheriffs, it could be Mayor Adams, it could be Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, doesn't matter. It could be Bruce Blakeman or it could be Steve Malone, it doesn't matter. They always have an army behind them. You notice that they have a press conference, and you say to yourself, who the hell are all these people? They never talk. They're like zombies. They stare into the camera. They nod their head, you know, in appreciative glow. Yes, yes, you are the Mashiach. Yes, you're right, boss. Uh, does this guarantee me job security that I'm licking your ass while you're doing your press conference? What the hell are all those people doing behind them? Does anybody remember when that started? Because they all do it now. Now it's like an army. I wonder, is anybody working in government? Because whenever they have a press conference, it seems like half of government is standing behind whoever is hosting the press conference. 
Now it's gone from the sublime to the ludicrous because, oh, Ludy, Ludy, Ludy. Right, right, I, I get it. 50 years of rap, you know, the mayor, the hip-hop. I get it. Okay, ludicrous. But anyway, let me not digress. Eric Adams, when he does a press conference now, not only does he have a army of city workers behind him, sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys, but he plays Jay-Z songs in advance like he was Derek Jeter getting into the batting box ready to take a few swings. It's sort of like, what the hell is that? These press conferences are like, they're like day-long orgies of self-gratification. They go on and on. It used to be a press conference, 20 minutes to max, give the information out, let the press do their job, disseminate information, and let uh, people in the press, the fourth estate, ask tough questions. You know, we don't want that. What do we want? Uh, our press roughing up elected officials, God forbid, ruffling their feathers, God forbid. Does anybody though, know out there when this concept of having a press conference and everyone standing behind the person that we're not, we don't even know these people? Like Ray Tierney, the DA, had an early morning press conference in Suffolk County because he was announcing who body number seven was. Jane Doe number seven, or as they call her, Fire Island Seven. I'll get into that momentarily. But I'm looking at all these people behind Ray Tierney, the DA, and I'm saying to myself, are these some of the same people that the... Suffolk County legislator, elected every two years since 2013, formerly cop of the year, formerly detective of the year in Suffolk County. Are these some of the people that this guy Troida is talking about? Suffolk County is one of the most corrupt places on the planet Earth, the way I feel, the way I see it, you know, coming from my background. It's absolutely absurd what goes on in this county. And people, you know, they're working hard. They're just not really paying attention. I mean, in the United States of America, they have not arrested a sitting district attorney in the last 25 years, except Suffolk County. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I should pay more attention. I'm in the media, right? Even though I'm not a journalist, please. Nobody in talk radio is a journalist. Whenever we make mistakes, of which we make many, it's like hitting speed bumps when we do talk radio. Do you think we ever return to correct ourselves? No. Then all of a sudden, some call of five days from now will say, you made a mistake back then, and you have to say, oh, I forget. I'm Joe Biden. I have a little dementia. You know, I can't remember. But should I know who all these people are that stand behind these people who do press conferences? It's getting worse and worse. In fact, it's so bad at City Hall that there's a door behind the mayor when he finishes and shushes everybody out, that it takes them like five minutes to leave. And, so, and they never say anything. They just nod their heads like appreciative. Hey, oh, it's like, wow, the, the mayor actually chose me to be here. I must be doing a good job. Not. You never work. You always have press conferences. Does anybody know the purpose of having an army behind you? I could see one or two people, you know, experts, uh, a mayor, a county executive, a senator, a congressman should shut their mouths. When they they are not experts, they should call the real experts uh, up to actually speak on their behalf. Oh, the one guy who never has an army behind him, generally, 
is in a few hours he's going to have his weekly press conference, the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. The media is grateful to Chuck because he shows up, he does a press conference, he takes no questions. But he gives them some audio, some video for the Sunday news that bleeds over to the Monday news. He talks about issues that you would never think a United States senator would talk about. They're like beneath the office of U.S. Senate. It's like what a... uh, what a consumer affairs chief would talk about. It's only basically so he can get FaceTime. He doesn't have an army on Sunday, but when he's in Washington, right, as a majority leader, he has these cadavers in formaldehyde behind him, other senators. Likewise, Mitch McConnell, where the hell is he now? I mean, is he in a senior citizen center or a rehab center? I mean, this guy's shot. He has an army behind him. McCarthy has an army behind him. What do they need the army for? Just so that these other senators and House members can get FaceTime and, and nod their head appreciatively? Like, yeah, yeah, you're the best. We agree with you 1,000%. It's like I hear some of the talk radio programs here. They have guests or they have co-hosts. Oh, you couldn't be more hopelessly right. I agree with you 10,952%. It's like, why do you have them contributing to your talk show? It's boring. You're right. No, in fact, let me tell you how right you are. Oh, wow, this is painful. I just want to take a nail and jab it in my eye. I really do. I want to bleed out my eyeball when I hear that crap. And they think they're doing good talk radio. Good, right? Good. No, bad. (laughs) How about getting somebody on who has a different point of view than you? You know, maybe you agree to disagree. You could be respectful, but do I need to hear sycophants, toadies, and lackeys? Oh, I agree with you, 10,852%. What happened to the other percentage points? Well, you're right. I digress, though. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But as you know, my position on the serial killings... Uh, that are unresolved. They're not going to put them all on Architect Rex, although I'm sure some of them, some of the investigators would like to do that. But I couldn't be more hopelessly not trustful of anybody in Suffolk County and Nassau County. I got to be completely honest with you. There's a history there, and they all crow they're the best. For instance, there was a state senator I knew I didn't get along with. In fact, when I was the uh, chairman of the New York State Reform Party, I don't think we endorsed him, although he got elected anyway. <laughs> Showing you the lack of power of the New York State Reform Party. <laughs> hey, you need us. No, I don't. I'm going to get elected anyway. So anyway, Phil Boyle, he's been there forever out in Suffolk County, first as a state assemblyman and then a state senator, about 20 years in Albany, and then he retired. But... Uh, he was asked a question uh, from our own Sid Rosenberg uh, about me because I've been so so negative towards Suffolk County elected officials and the police and Nassau County elected of, uh, officials and the police. And this is what Phil Boyle had to say. Now, I bring Curtis Sliwa, Phil, on this show, 705, every weekday morning. And I know McKay's talked about it and others, but Curtis has been really, really detailed in explaining 
why between that uh, that that compound, I guess Oak Beach and Burke and the former DA and all these people, that there was a one thousand percent chance that they purposely kept the FBI out for years in these uh, Gilgo murders because some of them, including the former police chief, were involved in very tawdry instances, including sex with prostitutes. And Curtis has made a very, very good case. My feeling is you agree with Curtis to a certain extent. Am I right? I agree with Curtis completely. Uh, there's no that's all, that's, uh, that's all we need to uh, that, 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 That's like music to my ears. Uh, no, I shouldn't have cut him off there. But he goes on to basically agree with almost everything I said. I give him credit because um, I don't think we were on the same page when I was New York State Reform Party chairman. Boy, that didn't last that long. In fact, Andrew Evilize Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo. Yeah, I know you're listening out there at the Cuomo compound on our WLIR-FM affiliate. You know what FM stands for, the acronym, freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and that Goldbrick slacker and deadbeat. When the hell is he ever coming back from his 90th vacation since he's been able to do the other side of midnight, Frank Morano? WLIR, they're listening now. Hey, Andrew, I send them a two-seal provenos font team. And just like your father, Mario, you are. Hey, you see, I gave you the salute. Hey, how's Fredo doing out there? Guy can't think. He's got a muscle between both ears. And your wartime consigliere, Joe Pococco. Is he adapting to life after doing six years for political corruption in Camp Fed, huh? But it's corrupt out there. It's corrupt in Nassau. It's corrupt in Suffolk. And uh, I don't know about all things in Suffolk and Nassau. I'm not a Long Island guy. Nassau County GOP, uh, led by this guy Cairo, wanted me to run for the seat that George Santos is in now. I had a meeting with them. I asked them, I said, you guys don't like me. I don't like you. Why are you asking me to run for the House seat, the old Swazi seat? He had vacated the seat because he was running against Kathy Crimewave Holcomb in the Democratic primary. He thought he could unseat her. Ha, ha. Yes, Swazi, get out of here, pretty boy. So I'm sitting there with uh, Joe Cairo and his staff, and they're telling me why I could win there, the way the lines had been cut. And I'm like, you know, what's what's wrong with George Santos? He ran a pretty good race against Swazi the first time. You normally don't win the first time. Sometimes you win the second time. And they wouldn't answer the question because they knew this guy was a liar. But the fact he had given them $185,000, whoa, that was like smelling salts to them. Hey, we'll forget his lying. Don't most politicians lie anyway? Isn't that what most citizens think, that they're crooks and they lie? Example, George Santos. Why the hell did I get him? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm talking about that. So that's why I don't trust any of them out there, including Congressman Peter King. Like Peter King. We have a love-hate relationship, but I don't trust anybody in that side. I don't trust anyone in Suffolk. And then they had a press conference on Friday morning to talk about, I like the way the media termed her Jane Doe number 7, as if she was a person of no consequence. Uh, some in the media called her the Fire Island victim of 1996. So I said to myself, now that they've identified her, 
Imagine she was dead since 1996. She had been a prostitute. All they've uh, upped that escort. Lived, in fact, on 45th Street off of 8th Avenue. That was not far from our headquarters. We were at 46th and 8th. Uh, just about that time. Don't know her, never saw her as far as I know, although she probably frequented that area, and she's been identified as Karen Vergata. Thank God it finally put a, a name and a face to this young lady who had been chopped up in different parts and spread across Suffolk uh, County, Fire Island. Uh, her body parts were put in a black trash bag. Oh, God. I don't think anybody ever wants uh, to be dead like that, to have their remains partially found in a black trash bag. So apparently two brothers had been out there taking their daily constitution. You notice how I'm upscaling this constitution on Fire Island. They were walking around, and they saw this black bag. So they were careful not to touch the bag because it was partially in the water. And they removed it from the water with a stick, called the police. The police came within a half hour. When they moved the bag and took the stick and poked it open, a toe came popping out. So they, they had this in 1996. And it took till now to identify this victim. I am telling you, and I will continue to repeat it, that there is a gated compound on Oak Beach, right on Gilgo Beach, where politicians, elected officials, cops were taking hookers doing acts of bondage, freaky-deaky sex, all kinds of weird sex, and I believe snuff films. I'll just say it right out. They will not say if Architect Rex and all the items that were taken out of his dungeon, because that's really what his basement was, a dungeon in the Beverly Hillbillies house, in uh, Matza Pizza Park, where nobody seemed to know. I had no idea. I had no idea. Guy is sitting on his porch, chopping wood at night, watching television while the porch is collapsing, being held up by plywood, burning garbage, which is against the law, and digging holes in his backyard. And nobody noticed, including the cops. Please. It's such a huge cover-up going on. Such a huge cover-up. That's why I say, that the architect, Ken, who has been arrested and charged with three of the murders, soon to be a fourth, that you got to be careful that he isn't Jeffrey Epstein. By the way, isn't your name Epstein, right? Yeah, well, what's your first name? What's your first name? Is it Jeffrey Epstein? How do I know you're not related to My that? My name is Jake Epstein. Yeah, so yes. how do I know you're not related to that monster who used to take all of his big shot friends to Pedophile Island and have sex with underage girls? Well, Curtis, uh, I worked at a summer camp a few years ago, and I was asked, you know, are you related to Jeffrey Epstein? And I looked at the, uh, the woman who was working the cafeteria at the camp dead in the eyes and said, you think you would? Uh, they would allow me around all these effing kids if I was? You know, yes. They're nine yes. years old. Nine well, well, years yeah, old. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. 
So from now on, to me, you're Jeffrey Epstein Jr. Oh, come on, Curtis. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, your name is Epstein. Change your last name, huh? Look, de Blasio changed his last name from Conrad von Wilhelm to de Blasio. You can do it, too. You can do it legally. Change your freaking name. Because to me, every Epstein is a Jeffrey Epstein. Again, we learn about big shots who were affiliated with Epstein who are now surfacing. Well, I didn't know. Oh, why are we hanging out with this guy, this perv? Well, uh, you know, business. Business. Well, really? What are you doing on pedophile line? Oh, uh, business. Jamie Dimon. He goes for a deposition. Oh, Jamie Dimon comes in. Uh, Chase Spank. Oh, God, the world revolves around Jamie Dimon. He's going for a deposition about why Chase Bank was so coochie-coochie with Jeffrey Epstein. He was deposed for four hours. He came out of that and said, we better settle. Why? 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 Jamie, I didn't handle that very well. But what do you mean? Well, it ain't going to be good for Chase. Give the victims whatever money they want because we were doing business with this pedophile and we knew it. Including Jamie Diamond. No, I didn't know anything. It was my, uh, come on. See, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, in what Ronald Reagan said, he said, trust but verify. Me, it's reverse. I, you gotta, I verified first and I trust you. Cause if not, I don't trust you. I don't trust them out in Suffolk County. I'm telling you, square up the cops or the officials, even if they're fellow Republicans. Sometimes I trust them even less. Uh, or Nassau County, where they have Bruce Blakeman, a county executive who cannot chew gum and think at the same time. He's marching in his parade. Some kid hits him with a balloon filled water right in the back of the head, and the guy didn't even feel it. I'm not suggesting you would go over to the kid and give the kid a beatdown, but he didn't even feel it. There's nothing up there, I'm telling you. There's nothing going on between his ears. Our number is 1 800 848 that's 1-800-848-WABC. When we come back, I want to give this crime victim her due because even though Ray Turney had a press conference about what they are calling Jane Doe number 7, every victim, there is a story, and her story has never been told. And imagine she was butchered up and spread all over Suffolk County, which is the burial ground for the serial killers of Nassau County. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Billy Joe, just sell your mansion and get the hell out of here. 
But your uh, song, Moving On Out, is what so many people were doing. I can't tell you the number of people who come up to me and just tell me I'm, I'm out of here. Exodus continues to Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. The Exodus continues. But let's give Jane Doe number seven, identified by the DA Tierney on Friday. Her remains were found on Fire Island in one area and then spread into other areas. Karen Vergata, at the time of her disappearance, 1996, she was living on West 50, West 45th Street. There was a lot of flop houses there, a lot of hookers, a lot of dope dealers, a lot of pimps, a lot of scuzz. And she was uh, an escort. But her roots were not in Midtown Manhattan in Hell's Kitchen. She was born on November 4th, 1961 in Roslyn to Anne and Dominic Vergata. Her adult life was marked by struggles as she was incarcerated more than once. She lost custody of her two young sons who were put into foster care. Probably because of her uh, drug addictions, she was a troubled young lady. According to her father, she would call him from time to time. She did not have her own phone, and she would call when she needed money. She would also show up once a year for a family gathering. And on February 14th of 1996, on her daddy's birthday, he got a call from his daughter, Karen. She had called him collect from prison and seemed very troubled. It was the last conversation he ever had with her. He became increasingly worried because he knows she had been released from jail, another arrest for prostitution. When she did not show up in jail when a warrant had been issued because she was a no-show. So he went to the NYPD since her residence was on 45th Street in Hell's Kitchen, and they basically told him, you're wasting your time. Your daughter's a hooker. We can't go chasing uh, after her. As the year turned uh, over, no one had heard from Karen no, none of her family, none of her friends, and they all began to assume she was dead. That year, Suffolk County Homicide Detective Joe White contacted the family about an unidentified female body they had shown. At the time, members of the family provided the Suffolk County Police Department with blood samples for DNA testing but they did not match the DNA of the unidentified body. In 2012, the father hired an investigator who was unable to find her. The court presumed she died as of February 14, 1999. It wasn't until last August when a DNA profile that was suitable for genealogical comparison was developed from Vergata's remains and she was positively identified. What they had to do was go down to a relative in Virginia, 
they took a swab of the cheek, and it was a match. Partial remains of the just-identified woman were two severed legs discovered in a black plastic bag, as I had described, on Fire Island at Davis Park in April of 1996. Other remains were found nearly 15 years later near Jones Beach in 2011. And this investigation of her death languished, like so many others who have been found out there, in which a cover-up existed. Almost all of them escorts, all of them who were summoned out to this compound. Once they actually begin to connect the dots, they'll probably find out that uh, victim number seven, Karen Vergata, was summoned out to Oak Beach to that uh, compound and may have been asked to go beyond freaky-deaky sex and got into a situation uh, that she could not escape from and was killed, and then she was chopped up and left out there, like so many others. So you say to yourself, okay, there are others out there. Where where was the second set of her remains found? And actually, it was next to a still unidentified victim known as Peaches because of a tattoo that was found on her left breast and a toddler believed to be Peach's child. That that did not cause them to move quickly on the investigation. Imagine you're out there, you're finding all these remains. You got a cadaver dog. You got this one cop who seemed to be very good at finding these bodies and the body remains. You find a mother and her child, and you do freaking nothing. What, what am I supposed to applaud all the cops out there, the investigators in the DA victory lap? No. Disgraceful. Totally disgraceful. And then nearby there was a guy, Asian guy, somewhere like 17 to 23. But what they're not telling you is when they found his remains, he was intact. He was wearing a dress. So back then I don't think they had the term because he also they thought was killed in the 1990s. His, still, they have not attached a name to them. I'm sure that now that they're moving full speed, we will know who this young Asian guy was. But he was wearing a dress. He was, nowadays, we would call him a transgender, transvestite, transformer, cross-dresser, whatever you want to call him. But no doubt, he probably also was out there being used uh, as a sexual prop for demented folks who are part of the political process and part of the policing. Not all, but you got to believe that people knew what the hell was going on in that gated community. That very wealthy people had units in, including some of the people that I mentioned, this guy Burke, Cannot escape this guy, Burke. He was the police chief of the Suffolk County Police Department, who was James Burke, a bad cop when he was a sergeant, having sex with prostitutes in 
his uniform, in marked cars, in the precinct. He was found drunk twice at the wheel of his marked car, Suffolk County Police Department, as a sergeant in uniform. And he was in possession of drugs. Now, this was a sergeant. Now, you would have thought, okay, internal affairs finds all this out, connects the dots, and he gets fired. No! No! He doesn't get fired! Town supervisor from Babylon, Steve Ballone, is elected the Democratic County Executive of Suffolk. And what is one of his first moves? To make his very dear friend, James Burke, Sergeant James Burke, police chief, number two in command of about a department of about 2,500. Now, do we think that Steve Ballone was going to Oak Beach? I don't have much money. In fact, I got money in my pocket. I would bet it all on that. And not just Steve Ballone, others. Come on. And they're taking a victory lap. Yeah, high five. Great. We're all wonderful. And I'm looking at the faces of everyone behind D.A. Tierney because, you know, everybody has an army behind them whenever they have a press conference. And I'm wondering how many of them were there at that time. See, I don't know these people. But I would bet you a good portion of them were there as investigators doing nothing back at the time that these investigations were put on the shelf because they would implicate people. I will tell you, I do not believe Ray Tierney, who's doing a good job now as the uh, DA, or Rodney Harrison, who is the police commissioner, brought in from New York, who I never liked. Didn't like him because he, along with Dermot Shea, the police commissioner, uh, who was the lapdog for Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who single-handedly destroyed the city that we love. They were both in agreement when de Blasio took a billion dollars out of the police budget. They were all, like, nodding their heads like little. They could have resigned. They could have resigned. They didn't. They actually said, oh, that's good. You took a billion dollars out. You're, you're putting it into youth programs, preventive uh, measures so that we don't have to deal with these youngsters in the streets. How did that work out? But I'm looking at the faces of all these men and women behind Ray Tierney, and I know they're not all brand new. Some of them look like grizzled veterans, maybe ready to retire. Very lucrative uh, salaries they get out in Suffolk County. Very lucrative pension uh, that they get. And I'm wondering, hey, Ray, you want to identify these people behind you? Maybe we could see, like, were they there then? How come they didn't do anything? Let them talk. Let Curtis Sliwa ask the questions. Hey, 1996, and you didn't do any investigating? Why? Why? You got the Asian guy there with the dress on. You got Peaches, uh, whoever she turns out to be next to her baby, and you had victim number seven now identified as Karen Vergata. As if these people were trash, as if they were being buried in Suffolk County, as if they were a discarded aluminum can or an empty bottle. And they just let it languish.
would not let the FBI come in. Why? I keep saying it's because of the compound on Oak Beach, the gated community, where many of these politicos and police were seen going in and out on a regular basis along Gilgo Beach. It's an isolated area. Many who would come from the North Shore, a lot of men of wealth and privilege who would travel straight down to that spot in Gilgo Beach, and they go into that compound and do things they would never do in their neighborhood, would never want their family or friends to know about, but they could get away with it right there in Oak Beach in the South Shore. And there have been people who said, I need to retract this statement. I need to apologize. Never. It is so obvious. So obvious. Let's get to the uh, phones right now. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from St. James. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Curtis, uh, quickly, did Burke get to collect his pension? Yeah, you're not denied a pension. You know, you could be the worst criminal in the world. The logic of the courts that have ruled on this is that you put paid into your pension fund along with whatever the agreement was that the uh, county had to uh, pay in, and that that's money that can't be touched that he should have access to. I believe he is still collecting his pension. In fact, I'm almost sure. Wow. Now, uh, back to the uh, Union Square incident. The person that was given a summons, isn't inciting a riot a felony? Yeah. Yeah, now they basically upgraded that. They say it is a felony, but you can give a desk appearance ticket for felonies now or what we call disappearance tickets. There's no doubt about it. As I pointed out, you have close to over 900 people that were arrested after January 6th for inciting riots uh, right there in the nation's capital, serious charges. And yet in New York City, you get charged with inciting a riot that we all watched, right, on television or on our computers or on the stream. And he gets a disappearance ticket and told to come back uh, whenever the court date is on the uh, yeah, the pink slip it is. Curtis, was he photographed and fingerprinted in case he doesn't show up for court? I, I believe he is. I've had desk appearance tickets issued to me over the years in which I was photographed and fingerprinted. So i got to assume they did that. If they didn't do that, they basically they've given up. They've given up. Well, it's look, it looks that way. What is the court doing these days to keep busy? Everyone's given a summons, and uh, I understand most of them don't show up on the return date. That is correct, uh, because many of them realize that there is no consequences for not showing up. They issue a warrant for you. They fine you eventually for a variety of reasons. Maybe you get arrested for something else. Maybe somebody, uh, you get into a domestic dispute, and then they take you in, and they realize you have an outstanding warrant, and you go before the judge, and guess what? The judge is where you have a warrant, and you violated the warrant, and they turn you loose anyway. It does seem like a lost cause trying to uh, enforce laws. No, 
I wouldn't say it's a lost cause. I would say that you need a mayor, Eric Adams, who does more than just cut ribbons and raise flags of foreign countries every day as part of his schedule. Uh, he should be meeting with the DAs, putting pressure on them. He controls their budget, Mike. People don't realize that. It, they are considered a state agency, uh, district attorneys. Uh, but the monies provided to the district attorney's office comes out of the city budget. He's got tremendous leverage on them. He could really put a lot of pressure. He wants to be their friends. He never names and shames them. He takes pictures. In fact, Mike, we have a picture from the National Night Out. At one of these uh, police events, he was with Alvin Bragg. He didn't just take a picture with Alvin Bragg. He made the love sign with Alvin Bragg, holding each other's fingers, smiling like the best friends in the world. And I'm saying, yo, you need to be naming and shaming this guy. Mike, uh, Eric Adams is part of the problem. He's not part of the solution. Okay, Curtis, one more quickie. Uh, The former police commissioner, uh, one of her requirements was to uh, live in the city where she would... uh, violating the rules was that ever enforced no she had six months to move into the city she lives in valley stream so technically she's right next door to queens but she did sign a contract with the city to be the police commissioner even though they wouldn't let her do anything she was aware of that mike she knew what the requirements were along with the other african-american women some of whom had been police commissioners around the country They were brought into a room with Eric Adams and Phil Banks, who is the deputy mayor of public safety. You don't need that position. Uh, It was created for Phil Banks, an unindicted co-conspirator who, in order to avoid jail on police corruption charges, became a confidential informant and rat outed other cops. And now he's basically running the department. So even though we have the guy that I liked, Eddie Caban, who replaced Keyshawn Sewell, he, too, can't do anything. It's basically the police department is run by Eric Adams and Phil Banks. Keyshawn Sewell knew that. Uh, she decided to leave after a year and a half. She probably can write her check now wherever she wants to go in the private sector. But, um, no, she never moved, and nobody ever put pressure on her to move into the city, as is required by her contract. Uh, Curtis, please don't tell me she's getting a pension. Yeah, well, remember, she's done time in Nassau County, and I'm sure it's accrued in uh, New York. I mean, remember, I'm not opposed to people collecting pensions because they're paying into it along with whoever you work for is paying into it. Obviously, if you committed crime and you're doing time, I don't think you should get your pension. But courts have ruled on that. Shelly Silver got a pension. Some of the other uh, crooked co- uh, crooked cops and crooked elected officials got pensions, uh, even though they went to jail. Uh, even uh, when they were out, they were able to collect a full pension. I disagree with that. Uh, but, sure, she's done uh, time in the police department in Nassau County for years. She's entitled to her pension. I think I satisfied Mike. You think I satisfied Mike? Yeah, I think I satisfied Mike. I think so. Let's go to Paul in North Carolina, where so many folks from Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, and eastern Pennsylvania are migrating to. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Paulie. Hey, 
And we love the the, the uh, we love the Northeasterners. Not a problem. Uh, let me just say for the record, you play the greatest music <laughs> stuff I can uh, definitely relate to. And um, when you were saying bull feathers during that news report, I was saying balderdash, which. You know, guys our age, you know, we use terms like balderdash and poppycock and fiddle-faddle. And <laughs> anyway, it's your favorite schmuck and putz from North Carolina. My son was a huge Thomas fan and Bob the Builder. And in any video with steam locomotives, he just loved it, or construction equipment. Never never uh, took to the whole Barney thing, which made me very happy. Was never a Mickey Mouse guy, which was nice. It saved me a lot of money. Uh, but he, his mother bought us tickets to that live Thomas show, and he had kind of aged out. I think she was, uh, I think she was trying to be nice, but he had kind of aged out of Thomas, and he sat there making wisecracks the whole night. Like Sir Topham Hatt went to the Billy Mays School of 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 uh, acting and. Just making wisecracks, you know, and what, before he hit puberty, he, he was a natural-born comedian, cracking up his teachers and stuff. But then he became too cool for the the world and everybody in it, including his old man. But anyway, uh, uh, I I used to love watching Thomas with him, to tell you the truth, Curtis. I, uh, no, I, I, I did, because I'm a train buff. I used to... Love the subways from an early age, obviously. It motivated me to start the Guardian Angels. I still love the subways, even though all the slime and grime and the, the criminals and the pervs and the guys who are bothering women trying to prove that they don't have erectile dysfunction and the emotionally disturbed. I still look forward to the subway every day. But I dug the whole story of Thomas the Tank Engine and all the other engines and who is that guy again, Mr. Topham Hat? Sir Topham Hat, yes. You know he was arrested and taken off the island. What is that, of Sodor? Island of Sodor. It wasn't a, a Pee Wee Herman type thing. Oh, no, it was corruption. Corruption. That yeah, thing. corruption. Hey, my kid well, couldn't understand. He was under a fat cat. He, he was a fat cat. My, my son could not understand that. I had to break it down to him. They actually told the kids that Sir Topham Hat was no longer on the island of Sodor because he got arrested and brought to the mainland. How old was it? How old was you when you broke this to him, Curtis? How old is what? Was he? How old was your son when you broke this news to him? Was he traumatized? Yes. Uh, and in fact, when I took him to the Beacon Theater, which had that same musical, which he, the kids were into, you know, the little kids and the parents. Uh, he said, I want to leave, it's too loud. And that's when I realized he had aged out from Thomas Tank Engine because it really wasn't too loud. It, it, well, the, the PA was cranked. It was loud. But I just enjoyed the evening uh, because of listening to my son crack wise all night. He, uh, he had uh, His fourth grade teacher told me that one of his classmates raised his hand and said, Teacher, what does OMG mean? And my son stood up, hiked his pants up like a a, a, a little old Jewish man, and says, "Oi, my grandchildren!" And 
<laughs> and the, the class didn't get it, but the teacher almost fell over laughing. Uh, by the way, whatever happened, uh, by the way, uh, geographically, where was the island of Sodor? I don't know. I just assume with, with all the, 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 the British accents that it was uh, you think, somewhere you in think Great Britain. Maybe, I, I maybe in the North Sea, you think? Maybe in the North Sea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, Paul, uh, so pleasant to connect with North Carolina. So many of our folks continue the exodus, North Carolina, South Carolina. Hey, I know many of you are cheating. You're already looking every night on the computer. Hey, that looks like a damn good deal down there. And you're being given every reason to leave by your local officials. I just ask you to improve and not move. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. And it applies to the flood of illegal aliens that have invaded our country and are coming to the big NYC, some of them being recirculated upstate to the Mid-Hudson Valley, further upstate to Albany, Colony, Rotterdam, and even out to Erie County. Most places are not at all interested in having them, but... The fact that we're paying to house them, feed them, clothe them, and send them there instead of keep them there. You say to yourself, how's that any different than what Governor Abbott was doing? Because you know what today, the significant day actually of Saturday was? It's now the 6th. But August 5th, a year ago, was the day the first bus arrived at the Port Authority from Texas. Sent there by Governor Abbott, who had had enough, said we cannot continue to absorb and care for all these illegal aliens that are pouring into our country through Texas, that the president doesn't seem to care Jack Diddley squat about, nor giggles Harris. 
who has made the arena of border issues but never went to the border. And, of course, Mayorkas, who might as well have been down at the border with a Indianapolis uh, checkerboard flag that they wave uh, to the winners when they uh, finish the race and scream, Andale, 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 come on over, come on over, come on over. A year ago to the day, this past Saturday, that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, put on his $5,000 customized suit of the day, went down to the Port Authority with an entourage from City Hall that had swag bags, metro cards, everything imaginable that we, the sucker taxpayers, could provide for people we don't even know, even though we don't even give them the people who are in need in our own city, many of them who were birthed here, grew up here, who are Americans, may have uh, been down on their luck, and mental health issues, alcohol, drug issues, veterans who had been scarred when fighting in war and then never, never recovered it, mentally scarred and physically scarred. To them, get on the end of the line. To the illegals, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, was flexing his $5,000 new customized suit and embracing them. And a year later, I say to myself, oh, my God, here is a guy who recently went to Washington, D.C. at a conference of black officials from around the country and had the gall, the gumption, the chutzpah, the huevos to go on the stage and talk about how he runs the biggest corporation in the nation. Something that I didn't realize that New York City is. I'm the CEO of the largest corporation in America, and my bald head, earring-wearing swagger is running this city my way. Yeah, yeah, my way. Yeah. That's swag. Yes, sir. <laughs> He's running it his way right into the ground. At this rate, we will be fiscally insolvent by next year's, next year's budget. The bottom will fall out. And I think back to a year ago. Saturday marked a year since the first bus arrived. And in opposition to Governor Pat Abbott, who he blamed for the buses being sent up to New York City, did not take him up on Abbott's offer to come down to the border and tour it with him. This way he can see what Abbott and Texans were dealing with. Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, couldn't give Jack Diddley squat any interest in terms of what Texans were going through. He just wanted to one-up Adam. So he called Abbott a racist, and he said, look, we're not going to do it the Texas way. We're going to do it the New York City way. Let's have immediate translation services to assist that people can have access to the services that are already available. We have to expand uh, NYC care to make sure everyone has health care. We need to make sure we have proper translation services in our schools so that we can start building out the future as well. We are going to fulfill our moral and legal obligation to house everyone that enters uh, New York City. Um, that is what we have done, and that is what we will continue to do. Wow. A year ago, he was so sure of himself. And then just the other day, while getting badgered with questions like 
Look at what you've done. You rolled out the red carpet. You didn't even try to steer them away. And now the best you can do is assure us that we're different than other cities because we don't have tents in our streets. I can assure you that this city is not going to look like other cities with their tents up and down every street. Yeah, not in the streets. You want to put them in parks and other facilities, which I'll go into at length up next. And then you gave us the bad news like you've been. You know, you were a good news bear when you first got elected. Too much good news. Too much fake news. But now, every other day, you're giving us bad news, which is the real news. We need help. And it's it's not going to get any better. Uh, from, from this moment on, it's downhill. Uh, there is no more room. There is no more room. So Eric Adams, swagger man who has no plan on what to do with the flood of illegal aliens that continue to flood in each and every day, regardless of what he says. Don't come. The inn is closed. There's no more room at the inn. Nobody's listening. They're already on their way. They ain't turning around and going back. They have too many people here from their country of origin that are FaceTiming them, Facebooking them, photobombing them. Instagramming them and letting them know, oh, you got to come to New Nueva York. By any means possible, get up to New York. And, wow, they hook you up. And pretty soon you'll have an anchor baby here or you'll get married and arrange marriage. And there's no way they'll ever be able to send you back, even though you're hearing scheduled by Limigre, Immigration Naturalization Service, uh, ICE, will probably not even take place until 13 years from now. So don't worry. Come on, figure out how to get here, and you can join us once you get here and party hardy till the break of dawn, which they were doing outside of the Roosevelt Hotel earlier, not on the African side. They're pretty chill. The Venezuelan side, man, they have adapted to American culture. They got side hustles. You look up and down that block from Lexington to Madison, it has all motorbikes. Where the hell did they get the money for that? Brand new sneakers, wearing fashion items, knockoff Rolex watches, designer glasses. I'm saying to myself, what? You came because of uh, political oppression in Venezuela? You start talking to these Venezuelans. They haven't been in Venezuela for about 10 years. They had left long ago when Hugo Chavez had died. Thought there would be a revolution. There wasn't. And the bus driver from Caracas Maduro, his number one single fan, Tony and Lackey, was put in charge. So everyone assumed there was going to be a revolution in the streets of Caracas that would spread throughout Venezuela. Never happened. Instead, a whole bunch of folks fled. They went to Chile, Argentina, Brazil. Started to do very well. Venezuelans have always been industrious people, always been involved in business. Heard that America was opened up by country Joe Biden who has said to all the illegals, who's your daddy? I'm your Papa Chulo. If I beat Donald Trump, the president, then I'm going to basically open up the borders. And he did. He delivered on a campaign promise to the illegals, not to us. And he gives us the bill and the agenda. And a never-ending situation in which people pour across our borders illegally each and every day with no hope that that's going to change under Joe Biden. So... We've gotten you up to speed. Things look dire. 
And they're getting worse every day. But I will tell you, man, them Venezuelans, man, they got that hustle. They're already delivering weed. Yes, they are doing their own form of Grubhub. You want to reduce price on your weed? You want delivery door-to-door? These Venezuelans are already on it. They're riding up and down the streets. They're doing deliveries for Weed Grubhub. That's what we'll call it, Weed Grubhub. And you look at them and you say, boy, they don't look like they're tired or poor. They came in here with rollers on the back of their tourist luggage, which meant they didn't go through the jungles of the Isthmus of Panama. They didn't have to fight off the mosquitoes and malaria. They didn't have to worry that they might become dinner for the jaguars that were lurking in the jungle. They didn't have to worry about being ripped off by the narco-terrorists on their way up to the border where they would pass over. And the moment they got on the other side to be uh, met by Catholic Charities, the largest nonprofit group that has been contracted by the federal government, by Joe Biden, to segue these illegals in, ask them where they'd like to go, pay for the buses, the trains, the planes, and Catholic Charity has become the enabler of bringing in these illegal aliens by the thousands. Why? What is the purpose here? It's just going to completely change the nature of immigration. i got to think of all the people from Venezuela who are waiting patiently, who are jumping through hoops, who are filling out the paperwork at great risk that they're going to be ostracized by the Maduro administration, and yet they wait. And then eventually they make their way to the United States when the time is uh, given them that it's time to come to the United States. And then still they have to wait. Still they have to jump through hoops. So what do you say to all these people that are doing it the right way, the long way, the correct way, the honorable way, to all those who are jumping the queue at our invitation and just flooding into our country? It is absolutely unbelievable. And Eric Adams, now a year later, is moaning, groaning, complaining, woe is me, woe is me. And the person who rolled out the red carpet for these illegal aliens is a swagger man with no plan. Swagger man with no plan. <laughs> and we're the ones who get screwed because he messed up. You would think you mess up, you fess up. This is... This needs to be the way the business is done, both in your personal life and in your professional life. You'll avoid so many problems. You mess up, you fess up, you do everything you can to try to put Humpty Dumpty together, put them all back together again, and yet that's not what Eric Adams is doing. Again, today, instead of dealing with the issue of the continued invasion of the illegal aliens now at his expense for the past year, I was out at Creedmoor. Creedmoor is in East Queens. Late Saturday, I was joined by a number of folks who were completely upset, who live in that area, that Creedmoor, a psychiatric facility run by the state of New York by Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, is only 30% full of patients who desperately need mental health care, need medicine, need constant attention and supervision. Why aren't we going around 
snatching people up off the streets, out of the parks, out of the subways who are in need of mental health care and bringing them to Creedmoor and housing them there and helping them there. No, no, that we don't do. Instead, we're going to be bringing a 1,000 single, able-bodied men who are illegal aliens and put them in a tent on the grounds of Creedmoor. I was right there as they were putting in the first spikes. It's a business that was subcontracted from Texas. They've done it before here. Uh, It didn't work the first time in Orchard Beach in the Bronx. It didn't work the second time on Randall's Island. Uh, Eric Adams is stubborn. He's obstinate. He keeps thinking about putting tents up, these huge tents. He wants to put another tent up on Randall's Island on the soccer fields. And more importantly, the first big tent he wants to put up is not for the circus, not the big top, no. It's for the thousand single, able-bodied young men that he's going to send over to the grounds of Creedmoor with nothing to do and nowhere to go. And you are in the middle of nowhere, that part of Queens. There's no mass transit to speak of. What the hell are a single, what are these single, able-bodied young men going to do? They could be from a prep school. They could be from a college. They could be from an elite family. You put a thousand young men together with high levels of testosterone crashing through their cranium. Let me tell you something. That's a recipe for double trouble. The residents there don't want it. They've joined together. They're mostly white and Asian, but there are some Hispanics and blacks. They've been joining me in the demonstrations that have been hosted by the Queens Village Republican Party, longest-running Republican Party in the five boroughs, led by Phil Orenstein and Joe Kincannon, and by Bernard Chow, who's running to displace the city councilwoman there, Linda Lee, the Democrat who's missing in action, who is supporting this, but just won't say it publicly whereas he has joined the protest and is going door-to-door to fight this. You know what the Texas firm told me? The Texas firm told me, and they said, look, Curtis, we'll take the money. This is what we do all over the country. We put up tents. Normally it's for events. It's event-driven, but the mayor here has contracted us for a permanent tent. But there's not enough drainage in this area of Creedmoor to sustain this. So this is going to be all for naught. Even if he gets that tent up, even as he starts to move the single able-bodied young men into that facility, the first inclement weather, the first big rain, the first big wind, and the Texans who do this for a living, their firm said, they're going to have to take the tent down like we've done it before in Randall's Island and Orchard Beach. This is crazy. And in the interim, overnight, he's dropped off illegals in recreational facilities in McCarran Park in North Williamsburg, where I warned everyone in advance, but the hipsters and millennials say, ah, you're an alarmist. Well, now what are you going to do? Sunset Park, the recreational facility there where the pool is. I'll be joining demonstrators there Interesting, a coalition of Democrats and Republicans at 3 o'clock outside of that recreational facility. That's right, in just a few hours, please join us. This is not a Republican issue. It's not a Democratic issue. It's an issue to save the community. 
and a humanitarian disaster is unfolding here in New York City. And the mayor has got to take responsibility for this. Has got to. And then, of course, is Justin Brannon, who, uh, as city councilman uh, Bay Ridge, now being challenged by the candidate I'm supporting, Ari Kagan, has continued to malign me, attack me, claim I'm making things up, even though the mayor of the city of New York has said everything is on the table in terms of putting illegal aliens in any any square inch nook cranny of New York City, continues to call me a liar because I, Paul Revere, I've given the warning to folks along Shore Road, a really great community there, that the mayor's intentions and his staff is to go in a Shore Road between 69th and 79th, right near the ball fields where I used to play against Severian, a very good baseball team, Unfortunately, mine was not Brooklyn Prep. But I know the area, not as well as I know other areas, but I've been there. I like it. The bathrooms work. That's a major thing. The actual bathrooms work in that park facility, which is completely unusual in the city of New York. But they have intentions of putting the Big Ten up there. Hopefully, my warnings in advance and Justin Brandon saying, gee, if they do that, uh, Eric Kagan will definitely be elected. We'll stop that process dead in its tracks. But with this mayor, you just never know, ladies and gentlemen. You just never know. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
And unfortunately for us, most of these illegal aliens, when they cross over the border and they're met by Catholic Charity, who uses federal tax dollars to send them wherever they want to go, the mass majority are not choosing Kansas City, St. Louis, Miami, or Chicago. They want to come to the big Nueva York, New York City. Hmm, I don't feel good because uh, it's almost like at times we're rendered impotent. We see people coming in. Look, if you happen to be them, you're going to take advantage of this uh, easy pass, uh, this ability to just walk in and be in the heart of the gateway of the world, Times Square. And they got to be imagining to themselves, how the hell do they put us up in hotels? Give us food. Give us everything we want. All we got to say is asylum seeker and we want to work and that's it. We just boom. Wherever we want to go. Imagine you cross the border and there's Catholic charity like Vanna White ready to spin the world of fortune for you. This America that you dreamed about and you're here and they're giving you everything. Not them. Us, the sucker taxpayers, it ain't money that's collected in the churches in just a few hours. I guarantee you, if you go to a Roman Catholic church near you and they pass the wicker basket for the first collection, second collection, third collection, you know, obviously the parish collection, that's important, the school collection, that's important, uh, the Cardinals collection, don't put a nickel, dime, a penny into it, especially Dolan who has encouraged the illegal aliens to come in. But if they were to have a special collection in church, the fourth collection, and said it's for the illegal aliens, there wouldn't be belly button lint in those wicker baskets because they're going to say, why? Why should we contribute? They're doing better than people who were born and raised in America. And yet it continues. And I've had my battles along the way. The most recent one with the second most powerful elected official in New York City. Because he controls the budget. City Councilman Justin Brannon, who the last time around won by a few hundred votes. He's vulnerable. And this time his opponent is the seasoned Ari Kagan, who was a Democrat, became a Republican. This is a heavyweight battle. So I got wind of the fact that the city, wants to put a tent in Shore Road Park, which is in their district. And the reaction from Justin Brannon, he was eclectic. He demanded to go on Sid Rosenberg's show in the mornings. I'm on every Monday through Friday, 7.05. He was on right before me at like 6.40. He's been on before with Sid because he was a friend of Sid. Many, many years ago, he was... Uh, I guess a producer or one of the assistant producers for the Opie and Dopey show. Yeah, because they were they were dopey, and they had Opie. And apparently that's where Sid met him. They developed a friendship. But clearly, 
This guy, Justin Brennan, was out to chop my legs out from under me, to discredit me, uh, basically to brand me what so many others have branded me when they're upset with me, a liar. It's the easiest thing in the world. Eric Adams, Kurt Lee was a liar. Oh, by the way, he's a racist, a misogynist, a sexist, a homophobe, xenophobe. Any other isms or phobes you can drop on me? So this is standard operating procedure, whether it's from friends or foes. A lot of Republicans do this to me. A lot of police do this to me. But you know something? It has to be transparency. I'm not just going to give a pass to my so-called political allies and foes. If you're in the wrong, you don't want to deal with the Sliwa demolition crew, which consists of yours truly busting my shoes in the streets, and Nancy Sliwa, who is an e-attorney who does the deep dive and peels away the layers of the bureaucratic paperwork and everything that can connect the dots. And she's done an outstanding job to date. I would say 95% of the time we've been right. Even uh, Sid Rosenberg has had to acknowledge, she's like 95% of the time, everything you said is going to happen happens. And the other 5%, maybe they wise up and they realize Slee was ratting them out, dropping dime, and they decide best not to do that because you're going to piss off a lot of people. Like Justin Brennan who call me a demagogue, and I'm still trying to figure out what the hell does the word demagogue mean. Curtis Lewa comes on, talks about my district, talks about something that's just not true. It's just not true. That he, he gets on the radio and says the mayor and I are planning to turn Sherwood Park into a migrant tent city. Absolutely false. But this is what demagogues do in times of crisis. What the hell is a demagogue? Can somebody out there please help me? I mean, I think being godly, you know, it has God there. You know, if you're 5%, uh, you know, they all perceive the males to be gods like Jay-Z. Yeah, yeah, he's a 5%. He rocks their pendant. Uh, he can't lie to me. I don't think it's that kind of God, though. I, I have a feeling demagogue is not an, a good term or good word, a good uh, explanation. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. But Sid took calls. In fact, he he uh, had an excellent uh, back and forth with Justin Brandon, who was able to give as much as he was able to get. He traded a few blows, and then after playing it twice, Sid on Friday took calls. And first up in the queue was really, we'll call her the mayor of Bay Ridge, Marianne, lifelong uh, Howard Stern listener. And when Howard's not on, she listens to Sid religiously. And this is what she had to say about the battle that I've had with Justin Brandon, who needs to be voted out of office. All of you got to show up November 7th, the early voting before that, absentee ballots, whatever, and... Uh, Get that vote for Ari Kagan, the guy I'm supporting, because we got to get rid of Justin Brennan. Listen, listen to Marianne. She gives you every reason in the world to do so. Shore Road is up in arms. Across the street, five-plus million-dollar homes. All the neighbors are talking that they want to put homeless tents all through Shore Road. Bay Ridge, 86th Street, 3rd Avenue. I can't even walk to kickboxing anymore at night. It's full of homeless, which I feel terrible. And I even give money and food, and a man threw a match at me. So we're in bad shape. The garbage is piled up past my head, and the stores are shuttered. Walk one block, Sid, for every two stores that are open, Five are closed. So Bay Ridge is in very, very bad shape. That's all I could say. 
You know, if I closed my eyes and I didn't know who that was, I thought it might be Fran Drescher, right? And Annie from Hillcrest High School in Queens, who's leading the effort of my union, SAG-AFTRA, going out on strike, uh, been joined by the writers. Sound a little bit like Fran Drescher. But she was spot on on that. There's no doubt about it. And then Anthony from Bay Ridge waited. Anthony. This guy's a mutt, Sid. Listen, correct me if I'm wrong, please. Last time when de Blasio, when he did the $1 billion, wasn't this guy on the city council or not? He was, 100%. That time, Sid, he sure as hell did yep. vote for the money. So now all of a sudden they see, you know, the, the woes of their ways and how things are getting so effed up. And now he changes his mind. He's a turncoat, two-faced mutt. I couldn't agree anymore. I, in fact, that call was so good, man. We got to reprise that call. We got so nice. We got to do Anthony twice. This guy's a mutt, Sid. Listen, correct me if I'm wrong, please. Last time when de Blasio, when he did the $1 billion, wasn't this guy on the city council or not? He was, 100%. That time, Sid, he sure as hell did yep. vote for the money. So now all of a sudden they see, you know, the, the woes of their ways and how things are getting so effed up. And now he changes his mind. He's a turncoat. Two-faced mutt. I concur again. I couldn't have said it any better myself. That should be the advertising campaign by Harry Kagan against <laughs> Justin Brandon. Just, just roll out, just roll out uh, Anthony's statement about Justin Brandon. Plus, what really bothers me about this guy is in 2020. He voted with his colleagues, the majority of the colleagues, to defund the police by a billion dollars. That was done by de Blasio. That was done by the Speaker of the Council, Corey Johnson, who they thought would become mayor. Yeah, how did that work out? What a hot mess he is. Oh, they were giggling. They were high-fiving. And Justin Brandon. Was with the majority on that, along with Dermot Shea, the laptop police commissioner. What a poop putt he was. Rodney Harrison, who was the number two guy who's now the South Suffolk County uh, police commissioner. He was in agreement. Oh, yeah, let's take a billion dollars. They've never put it back. And Justin Brennan, every time he's asked about that, the record is clear. He says, no, I, I've actually added money to the police budget. So I was so proud of John Tobacco who ran with me when I was running for mayor, he uh, was running for controller. He gathered the same number of signatures to qualify on the ballot, about 15,000. And I got to tell you, a lot of his volunteers in Staten Island were collecting petitions for me also. So they would collect uh, signatures for John and say, hey, by, by the way, uh, can you sign for Curtis Lee? He's running against Fernando Martel. <laughs> Mateo, who hasn't been seen from, never made a concession, speech, never called me and said, hey, the better man won. You know, none of that. <laughs> crushed him in the Republican primary. And a lot of it was due to John Tobacco's supporters. He, he was magnificent. Got 15,000 signatures. 
They knocked him off the ballot. This is the most arcane method of qualifying candidates that exists in the United States. It's primitive. It's arcane. It's meant to keep the status quo in effect. And our own Republicans went to work on John Tobacco and knocked him off the ballot, not because his signatures weren't good. His signatures were my signatures, pretty much. But because he had a cover sheet. They they have a cover sheet. And two of his digits were off, and they eliminated all of his signatures. And he fought it in court, but the court said, well, the rules are the rules. And his fellow Republicans, they didn't come to his aid at the Board of Elections. In other states, many of you are listening now, all throughout the United States, you know it's relatively easy to run for office. Look, it's difficult to campaign. It's difficult to uh, get volunteers. It's difficult to raise money. But the easiest part of the process is to sign up and you say, I'm running. Some places you give $100, you get 100 signatures, you're good to go. No, no, not New York City, New York State. Arcane, primitive, it's meant to continue the status quo. And in the case of John Tobacco, imagine what he felt like. All of his volunteers, all of his helpers, all of the work that they put in to give him a chance to run as the controller candidate. Eventually he did on an independent line, but he would have had the Republican line. He would have been able to have his own debates against a Republican candidate of no consequence. I don't even know who was running on my ticket because they all badmouthed me. Ha! I had more problems from the Republican Party ever than the Democratic Party. Imagine, I'm running on a ticket with a public advocate. That that position should be eliminated. I've said that before. When people wanted me to run for public advocate, I said, if elected, I will padlock the office and resign. It is a office that does nothing. It's political patronage at its worst. And the monies are collected by who's ever public advocate to run for higher office. Look at what de Blasio did. Ran for mayor. Look at what Tish James did. Ran for state attorney general. Look at what uh, Mark Green did as public advocate. He read, ran for every conceivable office imaginable. It is just a treadmill for elected officials to conduct a house of patronage and to run for higher office. Look at what Jumani Williams has done, same thing. And none of his 60 staff members are in the office. They're working at home. Hey, knucklehead, the pandemic is over. Get your workers into But then again, they don't do any work. So the slackers and deadbeats and Nordwells, whether they're at home collecting our tax dollars or they're in an office collecting our tax dollars. <sighs> Man alive. Oh, yeah, you know, one of my proudest moments. Boy, I'm really moving in a few different directions here. It was 2019, and the previous uh, attorney general, that was his name again, naturally Democrat, Schneiderman. What a degenerate from the Upper West Side. He would actually wear mascara. I mean, any kind of time a guy is wearing mascara, come on, that's very unmanly. But he fashioned himself as a dog, meaning he is chasing trim, chasing skirts. Uh, He wasn't going both ways. I mean, he was a hound dog. But once he would engage a woman... Apparently, he liked to choke him, whip him, beat him, weird, freaky-deaky stuff. 
And some of the women came forward, and that was it. In the age of uh, <laughs> now the National Organization of Women, yeah, no shot. And he shouldn't have a shot. I recently saw him on the subway. He's an attorney. He had his uh, license uh, restored. Uh, he's making money. But he's not the man that he used to be when he was riding high in the saddle as attorney general of the of, uh, New York with the hope to become the country's attorney general. You see, if Hillary Rodham Clinton had won in 2016 and she was favored to win, and actually she's still in a fetal position from the night she was told she lost to Donald Trump at the Jacob Javits Center, she still hasn't recovered. Meantime, Donald Trump walked out on stage, remember? Who, me? President? You're kidding. But had Hillary pulled it off, a victory against Donald Trump, she would have appointed Schneiderman, Attorney General of the United States. Uh, extraordinarily powerful position, as you see with the Attorney General now, Garland. <laughs> and this guy, because he was a freak with women, had to exit. Then somebody filled the position for a while, and then they had the election. Tish James was embraced by Andrew Evelice Cuomo out of all the Democrats' money. Wasn't that poetic justice? Hey, Andrew, I know you're listening out there on WLIR. Wasn't that so nice? You attached yourself like a barnacle onto Tish James. Whenever I'd see you, you'd basically both eye fornicate me. You were, you were putting her on a pedestal. She's the only woman who could be attorney general. She won because of you, and then she whacked you. Oh, that made my day. That gave me so much knockers. So much knockers. Ha, 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 ha. Take that, Andrew Evelice Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta, Cuomo, King Cuomo I. Hey, Andrew, ascendeme. Tu si uprovienos facin. And like your father, Mario, you are. Oh, God. Makes me feel so good. To the break of dawn, ladies and gentlemen, to the break of dawn. Now, where the hell was I? I was moving in so many different directions. Oh, that's right. Justin Brandon. So he says it's never going to happen. Can you trust any of them? Let's go to Vito in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Vito. Hey, Curtis, how are you? I don't live in uh, Brandon's district. I, live, I do it in Staten Island like I, when I told you, call screener. Um, after I heard him on Sydney uh, on Friday where he lied about not defunding the police when, when it was proven that he did, shows that he does not care about his constituents. Me personally, after I heard... Uh, what he said, I went and I donated money to Ari Kagan's um, uh, campaign. It was only $10, but I think that anybody and everybody that's listening to this show should contribute money to Mr. Kagan because you got to get rid of this guy, Brandon. He, like, the, like the guy Tom, or whatever his name was, said it, uh, Brandon is a mutt. Oh, oh, hold on, exactly we want, we want... We want Anthony to score the Trinity, the Troika, the Trifecta. I mean, Vito, was that was that good or was that good or bad? Let's let's all listen to it again. That gives me a lot of knockers. This guy's a mutt, Sid. Listen, correct me if I'm wrong, please. Last time when De Blasio, when he did the one billion, wasn't this guy on the city council or not? He was, one hundred percent. That time, Sid. He sure as hell did yep. vote for the money. So now all of a sudden they see, you know, the, the woes of their ways and how things are getting so effed up. And now he changes his mind. He's a turncoat, two-faced mutt. Oh, 
Vito, is that not super spectacular? It was fantastic to hear. I was literally, I was cheering the radio on uh, Friday morning when I was listening to this because people like, like Brandon have to be removed from the city council. They have to be voted out. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, your donation uh, to Ari Kagan, who's running against Justin Brandon on the Republican line. Because you live in New York City, Vito, your $10 becomes $90. The city taxpayers are forced to match your $10 donation times eight. So that means because you were generous enough to give Ari Kagan 10 he gets 90 which is going to help him because Justin Brandon has a uh, Eric Adams war chest. Uh, Justin Brandon is a puppet of Eric Adams, and Eric Adams is the puppeteer, so you're absolutely right. If you live outside of the five boroughs, you can give money. It doesn't get matched. Uh, but send it to Ari Kagan, if nothing more than to help him, because I'm going to be out there with him, Vito, side by side. Thank you, Curtis. Yep, and I appreciate you listening the WABC, which is your place to be. Let's go to Mike in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mike. Hi, Curtis. Good evening. Uh, in reference to your question about an hour and a half ago when you first started the show, uh, talking about how these politicians have, uh, uh, let me switch phones, these politicians have, um, you know, a gang of people behind them uh, showing support. When did that start? To my knowledge, uh, I don't remember it happening any time before Barack Obama. I don't remember it with Bush. I don't remember it with Clinton. I only remember it with Barack Obama. He had the choir behind him, just like uh, a Methodist church, you know, singing, singing you know, strength in numbers, basically, is what that represents. And if you recall, when Trump uh, came out of Washington after they were supposedly trying to kill him, and he was walking in the street by himself with the Bible in his hand. He was all by himself, Donald Trump. But there was a picture, a photo op of Obama walking with about 60,000 people behind him coming up the street, which tells me that you're really basically not a great leader. You just have to be a weak person, and you need all the support you could get. So it's all, you know, it's all photo op stuff. And and now everybody does it, just like you're saying. Even, even Trump now, when he does a speech, you know, there's people cheering and clapping because it puts on a great, you know, a great show. It makes everybody feel like, oh, look, he can't be wrong. There's that many, you know, there's that many people behind him, and everybody agrees with him. And so it's a, it's a tool of propaganda to use that because then if you see people behind the person nodding their heads like zombies – uh, that it makes you, it reassures you, oh, yeah, that guy must be right. Look at all those people behind him, right? Yeah, that's it. That's the whole thing. It's all, it's all you know, it's all out there. Now, I was, reading, I was reading something about uh, President number 44, Barack Obama, today. Apparently, a guy who had spent time with him and wrote a book, uh, uh, Barack, was cooperating with the book, now indicates, at least it was written in one book, one of his books, the Barack Obama, who was a hound dog when he went to Columbia University, he was only there briefly, then went on to Harvard, and you know the rest of the story. But for the two years that he was in uh, Columbia in Morningside Heights, and he admitted this, Barack Obama, I mean, he said he was smoking weed every day. Because remember, when he was in Hawaii, in Oahu, he wanted to be a Howley. 
That's like a white boy Hawaiian. He was smoking Maui Waui Hindu Kush. He wrote that in his own book. Because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. <laughs> Someone is smoking. <laughs> it was probably coming right out of Barack Obama's uh, room, right next to Columbia at that time. Again, he didn't have much uh, of an imprint uh, at Columbia when he went because he said he was in his room when he wasn't in class smoking weed. And having sex. Apparently he was quite the hound dog. But this guy who wrote the book in cooperation with Barack Obama about Barack Obama claims that Barack Obama confided to him for publication. There's no such thing as, well, off the record. No, 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 no. You're dealing with a journalist. You're dealing with somebody writing a book about you, a magazine article, a comic book. Uh, a magazine cover with credits. Uh, you tell them anything, it's going to come out. Apparently, Barack Obama told him he would dream about having sex with guys. Barack, well, where's that song from yesterday, the Barack Obama song? What? I'll never forget that song. This white female who is hot to trot, forget what her name is, she probably disappeared after this song. Did an ode to Barack Obama. Let's face it. He had a lot of female supporters who probably were fantasizing about being with Barack Obama. I never in my life would have thought that Barack Obama, in print, it says, he hasn't disputed it, was fantasizing about having sex with guys. Barack, say it ain't so. You're in Martha's Vineyard. You're listening right now. Thank all of you for your time, your suggestions, your encouragement, and your prayers. And I look forward to continuing our conversation in the weeks and months to come. Hey, B, it's me. If you're there, pick up. I was just watching you on C-SPAN. C-SPAN? Anyway, call me back. Mm. Who the hell watches C-SPAN? Oh, Frank Morano does, that's right. You know, when I was running for mayor, nobody did a video like this for me. It's like, nah, go back to the streets and the subways, dump some thugs. Let me hear this, let me hear this. So she had a crush on Barack Obama, and other women did. But apparently, say it ain't so, Barack. It's going to break my heart. Apparently, Barack Obama had a crush on guys and was fantasizing about having sex with them. Now, the author swears that's true. Barack Obama has not said no, but then again, look how long it took him to respond to uh, Donald Trump about him being a citizen in the United States, which would have been a slam dunk. Barack should have just said, hey, I'm a Howley. I smoke Maui Waui and Hindu Kush. I wanted to be a surf boy. I then went to Columbia. Come on. I was born here in America. Stop the nonsense. But he, no, he would not respond. And Trump went on national tour. Barack, Barack is a Muslim. 
from Indonesia, Jakarta, yeah, we try to march, yeah, or if not there, Kenya, Kenya, yeah. God, what the hell is Trump doing with that nonsense? But this, this will break my heart. Tell me the President 44, Barack, tell me you weren't in the White House with Michelle. And then when you were having the urge to merge, you were thinking about having sex with guys? What? Barack! Say it ain't so. Look, I have to admit, Barack, when somebody told me you had given the speech in Boston Garden when Kerry was the nominee and they said, this guy's going to be the next president. I get out of here. But a name like Barack Obama, you're crazy. Say it ain't so, Barack. Oh, say it ain't so. Oh, my God. Obama! <laughs> this is like as bad as I felt when Teddy Pendergast, who had all these women throwing teddy bears, panties at him, crashed, Thank became a paraplegic, your encouragement. and he had a transgender in a car who was orally filleting him. What? My life will never be the same. First, Teddy Pendergast. Now, Barack Obama. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Should be Sid Rosenberg, right? Hollywood. I think I'm going to call him that from now on. Sid Hollywood Rosenberg. 
That's for a reason, man. The guy is kicking it on the big screen. He's going to be in the theater in Gemini Lounge. I think it's coming up on the 11th in Brooklyn with a lot of guys who would love to kill me. That's why they better put up a metal detector when I go see it on the big screen. Because I remember, uh, although you need to remember, I knew a lot of the Gavones at Gemini Lounge. Uh, Joey Test, uh, Anthony Centaur, these were mad dog killers, along with Chris Rosenberg, DeMeo, who was leader of the crew, leader of the pack. These guys killed more people than all the serial killers combined in Nassau and Suffolk County. And by the way, uh, DeMeo, Roy DeMeo, where did he live? Matzo Pizza Park. Yep, right on the water there. What, what are you, you going to deny it out there? He was the biggest killer of all. By the way, went to uh, Madison High School, the same high school that produced uh, the Schmuck, the Bucks, Chuck E. Cheese, Schumer. Produced our own cousin, Brucey, yes. Produced um, the Altachaka, Bernie Sanders, and uh, Justice Ginsburg. Who am I leaving out? Dice Clay, yeah. Oh, we could go on and on and on. Roy DeMeo. Went to Madison High School. So you see, people who took one path to success and people who took another path of success that ended up uh, putting them in a grave. By the way, what other monsters choking on their lobsters went to, uh, ah, let me pick a high school now, New Utrecht. How many of you remember going to New Utrecht High School at the worst football field in the world? A shorty short field with rocks and glass, and with a fence that was right close in proximity to the out-of-bounds marker. So that if all of a sudden you were like a flanker like me, and your quarterback said, hey, I want you to do an out to the sideline, and he delivered the ball, which rarely he ever did, because I wasn't Irish like the rest of my teammates at Brooklyn Prep. Hey, there he was, Denny Farrell, fullback, Coiny, who was the halfback, and Patty Roach, who was a quarterback, all from the Rockaways, the Irish Riviera, did they ever freaking throw to me on rare occasion? But when we played an exhibition in New Utrecht uh, Field, the old field, I did a wide out, and the defensive back crushed me right into the fence because the fence was right in proximity to the out-of-bound marker. So I'm asking you a trivia question. How many monsters choking on their lobsters went to New Utrecht? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Some of them probably were guests of Roy DeMeo. Uh, Joey Test, Anthony Centaur, the killing machine. At the Gemini Lounge, I've had arguments with uh, Bo Dito. Uh, you know, Dito said, hey, East Flatbush, Flatbush. I said, Canarsie, they're all Canarsie guys. Hey, you know, uh, we we got mad at each other, and then we made up. We're all part of the commission now. Bo Dieter was in the film, plays a cop, but a white shirt. I actually saw the preview. Did a great job. And then, of course, our own Sid Rosenberg was Dracula, the guy who was like gray, who lived uh, in the back, and would actually make everybody food right after they carved up their victims for the day. 
You talk about carving up victims. They'd uh, kill them the Gemini method, they said. They'd stick shivs right underneath their ribs, turn them upside down upstairs in the bathroom, bleed them out, and then chop them up and dispense them into the nearby uh, dump along Spring Creek, along the Bell Parkway. That was the Gemini method. So this week, no, actually the 11th. Well, yeah, that's this week, right? The 11th. Friday. Big movie premiere, red carpet, in Brooklyn, movie star, Sid Rosenberg. I think they changed the name of the movie from Gemini Lounge. I never went to the Gemini Lounge. I knew better. One time, I was going to visit my mother after I had started the Guardian Angels. I taught these guys how to play stickball on 89th and J. Yeah, Anthony Centaur, he said he had a plate in his head. He was still not. And, of course, Joey Testa, ladies' man, along with his brother, Patty Testa, could have been movie stars themselves, except they went in a different direction, the Gambino way and the Lucchese way. And Patty Testa ended up walking in the back of his chop shop there, right off of uh, Forster Avenue, and they whacked him. But I digress. I think my sister Maria went to Canonsi High School with him. It doesn't matter. School was not his thing. He was great at stealing cars. In fact, the thing with Patty Testa is if he sold you, let's say, Cadillac. Everybody wanted Cadillacs. Would steal a Cadillac. You tell them what kind of make and model a Cadillac. He'd steal it. They'd bring it to the chop shop. They'd redesign it. New paint job. Change the VINs. Swap out the VINs. You would come in. You'd be a happy customer. You would drive that Cadillac over to your gumadas, your place of business, your home. And then Patty Tester would follow you with his crew, and he'd steal the car all over again. Why? For the fun of it. Just to be able to say they could. And sometimes people knew it. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to go try to kill Patty Testa, who's backed up, backed up by the boys at the Gemini Lounge? Of course you weren't. It was the uh, consequence of doing business with guys who stole cars morning, noon, and night. I mean, I remember when they were hot-wiring cars, going for joyrides. Yes, I admit, I was in a joyride or two. You'd ride around Canarsie, and then you'd park it. Near Canarsie Park, Seaview Avenue, other than having gone underneath and uh, uh, messed with the dashboard, underneath the dashboard, and put a few wires together, the car naturally would be called in. The 69th Precinct would find out who the owner was, and the owner would get the car back. And then this guy, Roy DeMeo, shows up. <laughs> I did not get along with that guy. And he'd go up to the guys and he'd tell them, look, you're stealing cars for joyrides. Why do you want a joyride? You could steal cars and bring them to chop shops on Avenue D and get money. What do you mean money? Well, there's certain makes and models. We need the parts. So I'm going to give you a list every night. You roam the streets because most people had their cars parked out in the streets or they were in a driveway with easy access. And if you can steal that make and model hotwire it, and then drive it to a chop shop on Avenue D. There's a lot of money to be made. I told these guys, don't do it. Don't do it. It's double trouble. I said, guys like Roy DeMeo, these other guys, they don't have calluses on their hands. They got calluses on their tuchuses. 
from sitting around scheming, how could I rob hardworking Italian-American peoples? This is what they would always do. But these guys didn't give me no play. They became car thieves extraordinaire, made a lot of money, spent it on cocaine, chased skirts, trim. Next thing they know, they were hanging out at the Gemini Lounge, killing and butchering up people. And Roy DeMeo, did I say it again? He lived in Matza Pizza Park, probably the biggest killer of all. He didn't live in Canarsie. He lived in, let me repeat it again, not far from Architect Rex, who was living in that uh, Beverly Hillbillies uh, house there with a dungeon downstairs, digging holes in the yard and burning garbage. And nobody complained about him. Of course they complained, but the cops did nothing. How come the cops didn't do anything about Roy DeMeo, huh? Roy doing cocaine, imagining that the Cubans were coming for him because uh, his uh, adopted son, so to speak, Chris Rosenberg, had... Uh, had whacked Cubans down in Florida in a drug dealer went sour for kilos of cocaine, and now he thought they were coming for him. So some kid, 18-year-old, is going door-to-door salesperson, and Roy DeMeo comes outside thinking it's the Cubans are going to whack him. All of a sudden, DeMeo and his crew jump in their car. They're chasing the 18-year-old to where? Suffolk County, and whacked him there. And then afterwards realized, oh, he's not a Cuban. He's just a kid going door to door selling products. And that's when he knew his time was over. But notice, he too lived in Nassau County, Matza Pizza Park, right on the, uh, the water. Chased the victim into Suffolk County, whacked him there, and left him there. Uh, why did I digress? Oh, that's right. Uh, the red carpet uh, walk this Friday at some theater in Brooklyn that hasn't been turned into a black Pentecostal church because there aren't that many uh, theaters left. Uh, I guess I've been invited. But there's a lot of guys who are going to be there don't necessarily like me. I wonder if they have metal detectors, if everybody gets checked, wanded, you know, patted down. Yeah, a lot of guys who in the middle of that movie would love to just whack me, right? And then say, oh, under the cover of the movie, which has a lot of people being shot, I get shot and bleed out. I wonder if Sid would give me a good eulogy. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, he could be, oh, yeah. Could he do it in Yiddish, though? I wonder. Well, look, if I was a Jew, they, there's no wake. There's no ceremony. They just throw give me a dirt bath. So he's a big-time movie star now, and he's in Gravesend, which is, uh, I guess it's Cable. I did see a clip of it. Man, he was good in that. Much better than he was in Gemini Lounge, no doubt about that. Gravesend, top-shelf, five-star. In fact, who was it? Uh, The woman who ran for governor of Arizona who lost, who claims like Trump, the election was stolen. She's actually an Iowa girl. First time she came here to WABC to be interviewed in studio by Sid. She didn't know Sid. She actually said, I'm out there in the hallway. I think it was her and her husband. She knew of me, and she looked over to everybody, and she said to Sid, you know, you look like a hitman. And that's exactly the role he plays in Gravesend. 
Now, the reason I bring all of this up is that tonight he was on Lawrence Jones's Cross Country on the Fox News Channel. Apparently, I was out in the streets with Lawrence Jones on film outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. And Sid Rosenberg was in the studio. So we did a double team with Lawrence Jones, cross country. By the way, nice guy. When I met him, he's from D-Town, Dallas. I said, you know, I used to patrol West Trinity across the Trinity River where the mosquitoes were as large as horses and the gangbangers were all strapped and the people behind the doors, the good people, were all strapped because in Texas, in Big D, uh, Deep Ellum, everybody is strapped. And he just nodded his head and he said, oh, yeah. I said, where'd you live, Lawrence? He gave me the neighborhood. I said, were you near the lead smelting plant? They used to have a lead smelting plant in the black neighborhoods of Dallas, which was a disgraziata. Like, when I went to, um, oh, God, it was Montana, Butte, Montana. They had a lead smelting plant there. That's like the armpit of Montana. Where they go? Muskegon. Yeah, Muskegon, too. Muskegon, Michigan. It had a lead smelting plant. Man, you don't want to be anywhere in proximity to a lead smelting plant. Guess where all those lead particulae go? In your lungs, and you end up getting horrible forms of cancer. But that's uh, that's my three memories. Muskegon. What is, you see, that should be a trivia question. What does Muskegon, Michigan, have in common with South Dallas, have in common with Butte, Montana, the armpit of a really gorgeous state, with almost no people, lots of Indians, and lots of bison. Why did I? Why did I bring all that up? You see, I'm moving in a million different directions. It's sort of like theater of the mind, stream of consciousness. Oh, that's right. We were talking about now the acting career of Sid Rosenberg. Sid Hollywood Rosenberg. And so I need to know how he did on Lawrence Jones because I saw it on the boob tube here. Naturally, we have it tuned down. I saw myself in the streets outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. I need folks to let me know how Sid Rosenberg did and how I did because I think it's the first time in the history of WABC that we were like a tag team on a show, whether it's Fox News Channel, Newsmax. Although uh, years ago I was on MS, MSNBC when uh, Gates was friendly with Jeffrey Epstein, the pedophile on a pedestal. And uh, MSNBC, he had a piece of, because it was owned by Microsoft, uh, both I and Ron Kuby, whose mommy was a commie, did a midday show for about a year because they wanted to talk radio on talk TV. And they were always complaining until I finally went into the CEO's office and said, I thought you wanted to do talk radio on talk TV. We did, but we don't like it. So the next thing, we were booted out into the streets of Secaucus. Hey, the path train is right over there. Get the hell out of here. At the Lautenberg station. Oh, my God. Lousy Lautenberg. What? What that? That station is in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by reeds, punks, 
You know, like we used to be on the Bell Parkway in Canarsie. We'd take the punks and act like we were tough guys and smoking punks. Did any of you ever try to smoke a punk that was in the, uh, what could we call it, the swamps? It used to be along Jamaica Bay or the swamps of Secaucus. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I want to know how Sid Hollywood Rosenberg did on Lawrence Jones' cross-country Fox News Channel show Saturday night. I need to know. I saw him on the boob tube. I saw me out in the streets outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. I wonder what he had to say. Please, my inquiring mind needs to know. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Eric, who's calling from Bensonhurst. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eric. I just love the show. Uh, you know, my uh, mobile phone died out. I'm still I'm getting jerked around by UPS. Wish me luck. So all I got is the radio for now. But entertainment purposes, uh Utrecht, I went to Utrecht from 88 to 92, okay, so I know about the field. Back in the day, they someone on the southeastern corner from, New, uh, uh, which I'm going to get with Gravano, he had a gang, the Ravenites, he promoted for, for years on this podcast, probably back in the day, early 70s, or late 60s, probably even earlier than that. I mean, it's scary. I know that area all those years, going to school. I mean, who ever thought about saving Gravano until all those years later? So I know you went about the football, and I was on the football field back then, obviously. The other thing is, because he's got a podcast with Michael Francis, and they've repeatedly said for the last year that, that, that Roy DeMeo, the Gemini Lion, as you said, so you know your business too. And Sandy, he looks like a tough guy. He says, you know what, but that wasn't the mafia code. But then we knew he was a serial killer, but it's not part of our code. But I want to establish this because everyone in Nassau County claims, oh, why do you claim that Nassau County is the home of serial killers? Eric, fact, Roy DeMeo had a home in Monza Pizza Park right on the water. He was the biggest serial killer of all, correct? You said more Respectfully, uh, I never, I don't know the, the, those fine details. Even see on a podcast thing, Michael Francis as the, the former Colombo and the whole thing with uh, Sammy the Bull Gravado, they're not going to go into those specifics. They knew the bottom line is they knew they, he was a serial killer. And, and Sammy Gravado says, you know what? Hey, we don't do that, this, that, the other thing. But hey, when, 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 what a kia kia We don't do that. Let me tell you something about Michael Francis. And it was father, Sonny, who, Sonny, Sonny Francis, Colombo, oh, this guy was an accomplished killer, at least 50 or more. And he would do it so that when he would all of a sudden start chopping you up and disposing of your body, he would have a hairnet on, he would paint, I forgot what he put on the fingertips so that you couldn't get a fingerprint off of any of his victims' uh, cadavers or bodies. But he knew how to go to work. And one time I met Sonny Francisi. I think it was at, what was that, the lobster, not the lobster house, the crab house. Anyway, it was where they would have a monthly meeting. And they'd have old boxers who would come 
and make presentations, old managers, and these guys were trying to help the old fighters because they had no pension, no medical plan, no nothing. And Sonny Francesi was there. And one time I'm there, and I'm sitting down, and he goes, kid. You know, everybody calls me kid. I'm 69. Kid. Although back then I wasn't 69, that's for sure. And Sonny Francesi, Stone Cold Killer, grew up in the Pern was the longest surviving prisoner in a federal facility. I think the last joint was up in Massachusetts. They let him out at about 102 to live in Greenpoint, Greenpoint. That's where my wife was born, Nancy, with the Poles. But there were a lot of Italians there. A lot of people don't realize that. So we're sitting down, and he goes, you know, I kind of like you. Guys have said, maybe we should wax Lee. Well, you know, I, I don't want to wax you. I don't want to whack you. So we're talking about, who was it? Emil Griffin at that time, welterweight. And he goes, you know, Emil wears dresses. And I had heard he was like, mm, he liked guys. But dresses? Emil Griffin? This guy was a vicious fighter. I say, hey. Sonny, I saw him in Shea Stadium against Nino Benvenuti. He said, yeah, I had action on that fight. I didn't doubt it. Uh, great. The place was packed. The whole crowd there at the old Shea Stadium was all for Nino Benvenuti. They had the Italian flags. You would have thought this guy was the second coming of Julius Caesar in the ring. But Emil Griffin was a great fighter. But he did wear dresses. He was a transgender before they had the term. I guess cross-dresser, transvestite, whatever. Tough guy. I think from the Virgin Islands. So we're talking about that. And this guy comes in. And he's saying, Sonny, Sonny, I got this board game about the mob. I got this board game. I want you to see this. I want you to invest in this. He looks at the guy. He goes crazy. You got the F out of I'll kill you. No, no, Sonny. I, I, I'll kill you. What am I supposed to do? This is a psychotic killer next to me. Was washed out of the Marine Corps in World War II for being a psychotic killer against the Japanese. Even the Marines said he was too psychotic. Boy, that's being psycho. Probably whacked 50, maybe more. In fact, in his older years, he'd go into the strip clubs along the West Side Highway penthouse and that the albanian bad boys were then the muscle heads and these young albanian bad boys they're looking at sonny Francis. he goes no man you're gonna pay me and the older albanian said yeah we're gonna pay sonny Francis. this guy's vicious and albanians are vicious man they're, they're head shooters Did I ever tell you about the time he was uh who, who the hell was the guy in charge the Gambino crime family he was living, I think, in Englewood Cliffs at the time. Oh, strange name. Really strange name. And the Albanians were muscling in on the Gambino action while the Gottis were all locked up in jail. Yeah, John Sr., my enemy of all enemies, uh, ordered me whacked by John Gotti Jr., and then it was Peter Gotti. Yeah, poor Peter Gotti. Oh, he was picking up all that garbage. He went out on two-thirds disability for the sanitation department in New York. And I even said to him, I say, you know where you got your disability from? And you know, what? From lifting all those body bags and putting in the back of the garbage trucks and bringing them over to the dump there off uh, Spring Creek. 
Hey, you a wise guy? No, no, you're the wise guy. Hey, I'll save that story for another day. So back to Sonny Francesi. Vicious, I mean, vicious killer. Ends up dying in Green Print. When he's on trial for like the 57th time, he's in a wheelchair like they all are, you know, faking like they got heart attacks, you know, palpitations. They're in a wheelchair. They're going to die tomorrow. Typical, you know, wearing oxygen masks with the oxygen tank, which I wish uh, I could get close enough. I would have uh, taken a Bic lighter and torched him. But anyway, not Sonny. Sonny. So Sonny's there, and in the testimony against him, they're talking about his gumad. Now, Sonny's got a problem because his wife is wheeling him in and out of the courthouse, you know, to make it look good, try to get sympathy with the jury and the judge. The wife wheels him out and says, Sonny, you want to go to the bathroom? No, I really don't. Sonny, you want to go to the bathroom, don't you? No, I really don't. You want to go to the bathroom, his wife tells him, and she pulls out this shiv and she's ready to stab him in the wheelchair, and he's, like, begging for help. This guy is a psychotic killer who's afraid of his wife. But anyway, I have a feeling that after these appearances on the big screen, Gemini Lounge, which, again, movie premiere, I think is coming Friday somewhere in Brooklyn where uh, the old theaters have not become black Pentecostal churches or Hispanic Pentecostal uh, council churches, like so many of them have become. I think I've been invited, but i got to watch my back. And then, of course, Gravesend. Yeah, you know, he's soon. He, he, I'm telling you, he's soon going to be Sid Hollywood Rosenberg. And he lit it up with Lawrence Jones on Cross Country on Fox. And apparently I was in the streets with Lawrence Jones, which I was, outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. So I'm wondering how that worked, because I was in the streets and Sid was in the suites. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Judy in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Judy. <laughs> Hi, Curtis. You're, you're wonderful. You're amazing. I saw Sid tonight on uh, Lawrence Jones, and he brought you up uh, when he was talking about the horror on the streets of of New York uh, that you saw a woman in Central Park that that needed help and no one was there to help her. And he he talked about you. Wow. He spent his time not talking about himself, which Sid loves to do, but talking about me, Judy? He just brought that up. He said uh, Curtis Sliwa was was going through Central Park, and he saw this poor woman. She needed help so badly, and there was no one there to help her. Oh, wow. Now, you know that's incredible because when Sid is on TV, you know, it's light, actions, camera. It's all about Sid. This is indeed a momentous occasion, Judy. I'm going to have to see this. Where sure Sid, you would like to hear that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I he, mean, he, he brought you up right away. Wow. And how was the piece overall? Was it a good piece? He was very, very good. He Ooh. was really good. Wow. So you, you mean this guy, pretty soon he's going to be a movie star. You know that, Judy. Yeah, like you keep talking about it. I'd like to see him. Well, you know what? 
I've told him this right to his face. I've encouraged him to go to Hollywood so that eventually his star can be on the Hollywood Hall of Fame. And then I told him, and don't worry about it, Sid. You won't have to do the radio any longer because I'll be doing mornings at WABC. (laughs) I'd love to see the beautiful uh, Danielle and the beautiful Nancy also. Oh, yeah. No, no. Danielle, top shelf, five-star attorney. She's working stealth-like to bust uh, Bill de Blasio uh, for the thief that he was over all the years that he destroyed our city. She's doing a great job. And as you know, my wife, Nancy, is an e-attorney, and she does a lot of the research uh, that I bring uh, on the air, especially on uh, uh, the 12 o'clock edition, Monday through Fridays, the Rip and Read in which I expose the corruption of not just Democrats, but Republicans, too. You're absolutely right. Uh, they are the reasons that we are the success that we are. There's no doubt, Danielle, uh, by being married to Sid, who was like a handful for a while, and Nancy dealing with me, who is probably the most difficult person in the world to deal with, Judy. Right. Well, I know that you really appreciate her. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the love of my life, uh, without which I'd probably be six feet under in a cardboard box at Potter's Field. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Wow, so you see, first first review about Sid's appearance is like, he's great, and he actually talked about me. Sid never talks about anybody but himself. He gave up precious national TV talk time to talk about me. Now that is a miracle. That means when I'm on with him every day, 7.05, I'm going to have to bring this up. I mean, he's going to demand it. You know, I talked about you. He's going to remind me like 50,000 times. All right, Sid, I get it. You talked about me. I get it. But I'm going to give him the new nickname, Sid Hollywood Rosenberg. Hollywood! You know he could. Let's go to Paulie, who's calling from Westwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paulie. Curtis, I was going to ask you something about the the guys giving away money and everything. But that ship sailed. (laughs) Um, As I was listening to you, I was watching Mysteries of the Museum. Can you tell me something about Baltimore, Maryland? Oh, a lot. You know, that Baltimore, Maryland has a place called Brooklyn there, which is their port, which my dad used to sail into on the the uh, cargo uh, ship, uh, the Horace Lukenbeck. Yeah, no, no, I, I learned about Baltimore at a very young age. What would you like to know about it? You see them down there. They got one of your berets, one of your uh, jackets, and they got pictures of you, you guys. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I came uh, years ago to Baltimore to start the Guardian Angels in the 80s in one of the worst public housing projects I've ever been in. Uh, I had broken my shoulder, and I took out a guy who was carrying a gun. So there was a lot of attention to the Guardian Angels there. The mayor hated us. Uh, His name was, I'm trying to, Kurt Schmoke, who wanted to legalize dope. So I was like... Constantly arguing with him. I love, you know why I love Baltimore? They have places that are called neighborhoods, Pig Town, Lumberyard. I mean, you talk about 
no class, never mind blue-collar working class. I mean, they got poor white areas. They got poor black areas. I just love both. Unfortunately, Paulie, it's uh, body bag city now. It is really bad. I was talking, as I was, I'm, I'm watching Mysteries in the Museum, just watching it, listening to you, and I see all of a sudden it flashed up. I'm like, oh, I, I turned it on real quick, but I, I missed it, so I, I got to watch it again. I got to tell you some interesting things I experienced in Baltimore where a guy that we mutually admired in growing up played played ball. Lee Mazzelli went to Lincoln High School, played ball there, obviously, the Mets, and traveled and played with other teams. But he became the manager briefly for the Baltimore Orioles, and they did the announcement in their little Italy, which is about like two square blocks uh, where Nancy Pelosi's father, years before that, had been mayor of Baltimore. Uh, and so Italians had a lot of prestige then. That's where Pelosi originally came from. They hired Lee Mazzilli to manage the Baltimore Oreos briefly. But it's the place where on Friday nights, people will line up outside of these stores that sell soft-shelled crabs from the Chesapeake Bay. And first time I ever saw it, the Guardian Angels there were mostly African-American, said, hey, we're going to go get some crabs. I said, well, where are you going to get crabs from? They said, oh, they sell them on Fridays. You know, they put them in these wicker baskets, and you go and you pick out the crabs that you want. I said, I'm not into crabs, but, hey, I'll come. And it's the first time I ever saw my life in Baltimore where the crabs were all in the baskets outside of the crab store. And I forget who it was said to me, Curtis, look at the crabs. I said, yeah, don't they escape? There's no top to the wicker basket. He said, no, watch. The moment a crab gets to the top and seems like they're going to escape, the other crabs pull them down. I saw that for about 20 minutes. I was stunned. Crab after crab would make their way to the top of the whisk, uh, wicker basket, you know, with their claws every step of the way, and then some other crabs below them would pull them back in. And he said, well, they could have escaped. They all could have escaped and not been put into a boiling vat of water. What a horrible way to die, scalding water. That's what they do to lobsters. They do it at crabs. It's a... And in Baltimore, they love their crabs on a Friday night. I didn't forget crabs. There's no way. Crab cakes, I never liked crab cakes. Never liked crab. But some of you out there, it's trafe. I have a feeling Sid is a lobster guy, right? You know, probably, uh, oh, no, no, that's Frank Morano, right? He likes those king crab legs. He's actually gone on record as saying the only way to get him away from shooting craps in the Borgata and getting his BVDs and Fruit of the Loom starched, because he's a perpetual loser, is if you tell him that on the buffet they have king crab legs, he says he could eat it forever. Not lobster legs, king crab legs, because he is a cranky, franky crab. God, when the hell is that guy coming back? He's like, like perpetual vacation. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, you listen to Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, and once a month, he's taking a vacation. I can't believe this. 
The guy is just starting out with a nationally syndicated show. And he's on perpetual vacation. How do I know? Because when he goes on vacation, he goes to the owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, and our capo de tutti, a president of Red Apple Media, our parent company, uh, Chad Lopez, and he gives him a list of 72 potential substitutes for him, all of them who suck, uh, and all of them who at one time worked at WABC and were fired for various reasons. And that's when I do an intervention and say, guys, we've worked too hard to make this station so good, number one in the nation. Uh, out of the depths of despair, when uh, John and Marco Katzmatidis purchased WABC at that time, the old WABC from Cumulus, that really wanted to bury us like they did WPLJ and the uh, country station Nash, we were rated lower than WFUV Radio, which was Fordham University Radio, which, by the way, is a very good radio station and has produced a lot of talented people over time, who went to Fordham, like Michael Kay and others. But imagine, you used to be the number one news talk station in the nation. You used to be the number one station spinning stacks of wax, top 40, with Cousin Brucey. And we were relegated to being rated lower than the Fordham University radio station, WFUV. And look how far. We've come back with the new ownership and the new management. 1-800-848-9222. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Hollywood Rosenberg theme song from Saturday Night Live. He's a Brooklyn boy. I'm a Brooklyn boy. He's got his movie uh, debut at a theater in Brooklyn that hasn't been turned into a black or Hispanic evangelical church, Pentecostal church on Friday night. Um, My enemies will be there, but I've said I'll be there. Just make sure everybody gets patted down and they go through metal detectors or... Gemini Lounge, renamed to something else, may come true to life with me getting whacked in the aisle. Before I can get my juju beats and my good and plenty, plenty good. Then he's uh, in Gravesend on a weekly basis. I'm telling you, man, the guy is he's on his way to Hollywood. There's no doubt about it. And then he was featured tonight on uh, Lawrence uh, Jones's uh, Cross Country. On the Fox News Channel, like I said, I met Lawrence uh, outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. Apparently, they had an interview with me there when all the illegals were strewn out, especially the North Africans who speak French, from Senegal, where I've been to Dhaka, but also from the Sudan, from Chad, 
from uh, Mauritania, Madagascar, see if most Americans can find that on a map, especially African Americans who always talk about the motherland. They can't even find that on a map. But OA, they're original Africans, they speak French, and it was like a mosh pit for me. I was diving into the crowd. They were loving it. So uh, apparently I was interviewed in the streets by Lawrence Jones in cross country and Sid had a sit-down interview. And apparently he was kicking it. According to our last caller in New Jersey, said, man, it was five-star top shelf. Uh, do we have a little bit of a cut of that? Uh, let's hear uh, a Sid Hollywood Rosenberg tonight on with uh, Lawrence Jones and Cross Country. I mean, Curtis Sleewood did something a couple of weeks ago, Lawrence. It would have made you cry. He was in Central He was in Park, and there was a homeless person there, an American homeless person. Nobody cared about this lady. There was no Roosevelt Hotel. There was no free Xbox. There were no Yankee tickets or a bottle of wine. She laid there like a piece of garbage, and nobody cared. And that's where this city, there are a bunch of hypocrites. Again, the mayor, the state with the governor, the city council, they act like they care. They don't care because... Because they go back to their fancy apartments, eat their fancy dinners, and people like you and I have to walk the streets and go to work every day. We have to deal with this, not them. Wow. That was five-star top shelf. In fact, you got to check that video out. You know, I have so much social networking now, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, my personal uh, social networking, or here at WABC, where a lot of times... We run things simultaneously. Instagram, Facebook, you should check it out. There is that uh, video that Sid is referring to that was actually taken just two blocks from where the illegal aliens are housed, the old state prison on 110th Street, which was converted into housing for not the homeless, American homeless, not for the emotionally disturbed, which are mostly African-Americans, many of them sleeping on the park benches there in the northern boundary of Central Park. No, 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 no. For the illegals. And if you remember, it was two Sundays ago at 9.30 in the morning, they were going up and down the blocks like modern-day little hell's angels uh, on a rampage. They attacked one black guy. They threw him through a plate glass window. They got into a fight with another black guy on his way to church. Uh, and they were arrested and then cut loose as asylum seekers. That's right. There's no, there's absolutely no consequences when you declare yourself to be an asylum seeker. You get arrested and then cut loose. Well, because they're asylum seekers. So two blocks away, when I was checking on that situation, I saw all these African Americans sleeping on the park bench. One in particular that uh, Sid was referring to. You can see it on the social networking. It blew up hundreds of thousands of hits. An emotionally disturbed, younger African-American woman sleeping on the park bench. And I was doing a video describing how she's been left out. Eric Adams elected because of an African-American vote in his his primary election against the uh, Democratic challenges. Ranked choice voting, he barely won, but it was because of the African-American vote. Doesn't even take care of its own peeps. So, yeah, I salute you, uh, Sid, for bringing that up. By the way, you got to check my TikTok. TikTok wouldn't take that video. 
Yeah, for some reason, according to their red Chinese standards, they wouldn't take that video. But if you look, I have about 120,000 followers on TikTok. And I did a video recently in my many, many visits to the Roosevelt Hotel on the African side with the North Africans, which, like I said, uh, it's like a mosh pit for me, the way I get along with them. And it has, to date, about 660,000 views. TikTok. Now, let's face it. Some politicians, they try to use TikTok. Don't, don't. If you're not going to really give good content, good video, if you're just going to do, like, stuff you would put on Facebook. Seat of his car. Seat of his But I, I went to, uh, you know, to get my Grand Slam today at Denny's. Where did I see a Denny's earlier? I forget where the hell it was. It was a Denny's. I think it was out in Eastern Queens. Anyway, you know how you, you post on your Facebook. Uh, you say, oh... Today, I had the Grand Slam. Like, who the hell cares? And you wonder why you get, like, two followers. Can't do that with TikTok. you got to be creative. you got to have really good videos, mostly for young people. So with the combination of, I'd say, TikTok for younger people, Instagram for middle-aged people, and uh, Facebook for baby boomers, those videos get eyeballed thousands and thousands of times over. Wow, so on Monday at 7.05, my regular visit with Sid all throughout the week at 7.05, I'm going to have to be kissing his tuchus. Man, he actually talked about me. Normally, Sid Rosenberg, you know the whole, it's all always the world of Sid Rosenberg. Or as I've renamed him, Sid Hollywood Rosenberg. What a great tag team, according to the listeners. Me in the streets with Lawrence Jones of Cross Country and then Sid Rosenberg in the suites. Because that's the way we roll. Two Brooklyn boys. Eh, some of our uh, colleagues, eh, gotta, we got to take them to uh, talk radio boot camp. Teach them some of the fundamentals. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Nobody. Nobody's going to sleep. You're staying with me to the break of dawn. Axel Rose slash Guns N' Roses. Welcome to the jungle. It's a segment that I think I'm going to introduce on a regular basis when I do the better side of the other side of midnight. Six hours. Saturday morning, back-to-back, belly-to-belly from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. America fights back because we're not seeing enough of rock-ribbed old Americans taking the law into their own hands and fighting back against the criminal horde who is running people and businesses away, out of business, or worse yet, just doing it because they can't. Let me hear some more. Jungle, ladies and gentlemen, and survival of the fittest Darwinians theory prevails in so many instances, but you can't prevail if you don't fight back. And I think this past week we had a demonstration of that that brought great knockers to me. Dateline, somewhere outside of Stockton, where to this day these Sikh warriors have not reported what had transpired in their 7-Eleven to local law enforcement, and better that they hadn't. I have Guardian Angels in Stockton, and Stockton uh, declared bankruptcy a few years ago. It is uh, a small city right between Sacramento and San Francisco and Oakland. In fact, uh, in the summertime, the way it is now, it's hotter than hell because it's in a valley. Halfway between Sacramento and Stockton, you got to pass, uh, oh man, you got to pass a psychiatric facility there for the criminally insane, which was, uh, oh, it'll come to me in a second. That's where they had housed Charlie Manson there with his, uh, Nazi swastika, uh, carved into his forehead. Vacaville for the criminally insane. Where Geraldo, remember, Geraldo Rivera would schlep there once a year to do an interview with Charlie Manson. <laughs> what do you think he was going to say, Geraldo? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But it was so good to see this video. In fact, it's gone viral. Millions and millions and millions of hits at a 7-Eleven outside of Stockton, California. Black guy with a uh, blue schmata on his head, proving he is a crypt to the day he dies, wheels into the aisle of the 7-Eleven, a garbage uh, 
garbage can on wheels with a hefty trash bag in. And he starts pouring the cigarettes that are on the uh, counter uh, and also vaping products and cartridges and vapes themselves and everything he could get his hands on, and he just keeps throwing it into this this rolling uh, garbage can. And he's, like, doing it with impunity, as if he's done it a million times before. And in most instances, people are doing that nowadays, and nothing's happening. Look, recently in Astoria, as described by AOC all-out crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the socialists and the justice warriors who are out to destroy our country, she declared Astoria, Queens, remember the home of Tony Bennett? to be the People's Republic of Astoria because every elected position was held by a socialist who want to defund the police, destroy the police, close the prisons, and reward shoplifters by claiming that they're doing it to survive, as AOC did uh, after the attacks of June 1st, June 2nd, of the summer of 2020, the George Floyd summer, when a daily demonstration would oftentimes turn into rioting, shooting, and looting. I know because I was right involved with it with the Guardian Angels. But now we're talking about Americans who have had enough. They don't want to talk about their elected officials who refuse to come to their aid. The people who pay the taxes, the people who employ people, the people who provide products government never comes to their aid, is constantly aiding and abetting the criminals who go into these mom-and-pop stores, these mortar-and-brick stores, in which there are fewer and fewer of them nowadays because of crime, because they can't make ends meet, and because ultimately you have a choice as a consumer, and that is to order these same products online, sometimes delivered the same day. So these two seat guys own a 7-Eleven outside of Stockton. And this black guy with total impunity is cleaning off their shelves. And we're going to pick it up at the point where the Sikhs, who are a tough group of people to begin with from the Punjab in northern India, decide enough is enough. Don't do that. Don't do that, man. Don't do that. That was such music to my ears. So the black guy with the blue schmont on his head, the crip, is just about ready to walk out when one Sikh who didn't have the turban on, the schmanta, decides to block his exit. There's a little bit of resistance, but the Sikhs are big guys, man. They are big guys. They're not like Indians from uh, Poncheri, where I've been, or Madras, or Bombay. They're big boys. In fact, when the uh, Brits uh, were controlling India in a despotic manner, they would always depend on their frontline troops being Sikhs. They're that fierce. So the one Sikh, without turban, tackles the shoplifter, the booster. And then the other seat comes out from the back with a, like, 25-foot rattan, a stick, and just beats the hell out of this guy, hitting him in his legs over and over, his hips, his knees, his ankles, hopefully breaking them 
In fact, I want to hear that one more time. Uh, that was like music to my ears. The more I hear Americans fighting back, it's better than sex. It's better than sex. Don't do that. Don't do that, man. Don't do that. Oh, so good. Hit him. Hit him in the head. Okay. No, it's not okay. And then this guy had the chutzpah, the gall, the coulions, to say to the two Sikhs hovering over him, okay, I'll leave all this stuff here, but can I have a soda on the way out? And then the Sikh just, just lost it and started beating him even more, even more. Play it. Uh, I'm the owner. Don't do that. Don't do that, man. Don't do that. Oh, every shoplifter, every booster out there, every criminal. This has got to be the way the police either can't do it or won't do it. District attorneys don't want to prosecute for shoplifting and boosting. In New York City alone, 90,000 packages are stolen upon delivery each and every day by porch pirates. 90,000. There's no effort to stop this criminal activity. We have to take the law into our own hands. We have no choice. The elected officials have abandoned us. The cops are saying we're, we're impotent. We can't do anything. So they're giving us every signal in the world to take the law into our own hands. And then the guy has the goal to ask for a soda on the way out. That's unbelievable. And they gave him a few more shots. Now, they didn't call the cops. The Sikhs who run that 7-Eleven and say, look, we call the cops. They never do anything. They never come. Why should we call the cops? Because more than likely, they'll show up and they'll arrest us. Remember, that's the land of Gruesome Newsom, the governor of California, who thinks in the future he's going to be a president of the United States over my dead body. But he's right out of central casting with the greasy hair stuff, the real cream in his hair. And he's gruesome newsome because he encourages criminality, criminality, he tolerates criminality, and he never condemns the criminals. He loves to condemn cops. So it was an excellent decision by those Sikhs at that 7-Eleven. Do not, under any circumstance, call the police. Take matters into your own hands. I want you to listen to this 91-year-old codger. 91 years old. Man, he could be in the United States Senate. 91, lucid, clear, isn't going to take it any longer. Home invasion takes place, and listen to what occurs. Uh, I'm the owner of the property back there. had a burglar. And he didn't quite make it. 93-year-old Joe Teague was at his property on Eucalyptus Avenue in Moreno Valley around 1230 this morning when he says he confronted several people breaking into the home. They parked at the curb and then they, they went back, kicked the door open, and they went in. And I believe there was ladies and men. But Teague was armed with a gun. And I approached them to put them under citizen's arrest. They they wouldn't hear that. One of them come at me with a fishing pole. And they kept throwing stuff at me, just like, you know, it was just like somebody comes to an, uh, 
you know, a gunfight with a, a pocket knife, you know. But you had a lot of problems here lately? Yeah, oh, a lot like of that. problems. This is not the first time they have been. They've been, they've been breaking in very often. A family member of Teague's told us this morning he'd been dealing with a number of burglaries lately. He's an old retired plumber. And he has a lot of tools. He got a lot of antiques. And he was a musician as well. So he got a lot of uh, uh, music instruments. And little by little, they've been ripping him off. I've had a lot of problems with the police department even showing up at burglaries. He was tired because every time they called the police, police was taking forever to come in and uh, assist them. And he took it, you know, the law in his own hands. <laughs> Good. I applaud them. America fights back. Anyway, let's go to Giuseppe, who's waiting on the line in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joey. Yes, hello, Joey. Oh, what the, uh, Joe, you can't fall asleep on me. That is, that is the worst possible reflection that could be made on any talk show host or talk show hostess. Unbelievable. The hell did you fall asleep on? How do you fall asleep on uh, a, a segment called America Fights Back where we're giving lump downs to criminals, where we're beating them with returns, where we're encouraging people to take the law into their own hands? So disappointing, Joe, that you would fall asleep and diss me and dismiss me like that. Let's go to Brandon in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Brandon. Hey, Curtis, that's so good hearing that. Yeah, that guy could uh, beat with that baton, and that uh, that took some guts too. He was uh, had a shiv in his back pocket, so it's not like he wasn't armed too. Yeah, no, no, no. It uh, it's like smelling sauce for me. It's sort of like a, a mood elevator to hear them beat the hell out of a shoplifter or a booster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I finally saw the video today. It was uh, it was fantastic. I, uh, I was just going to say that the uh, Gemini Lounge is uh, called Inside Man now. Inside Man. Yeah, I'm going to have to find out from Sid, uh, Sid Hollywood Rosenberg, why they changed the name. Because the Gemini Lounge is synonymous with uh, yeah. serial killing. Yeah, I'm not sure why they did it. But uh, the other thing I was going to say is you're still waiting to hear about uh, Demagogue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what the hell is a demagogue? Uh, basically, a uh, political leader or agitates the uh, constituents to to uh, gain favor instead of using rational thinking, kind of like synonymous with a uh, rabble rouser. Oh, I don't mind being called that then, because I am, when it comes to politics, a disruptor. Uh, to both friends and foes, whether they happen to be Republicans, whether they happen to be Democrats. In this case, one of the big mockers of the local Democratic Party in New York City, the number two guy in the city council who controls uh, the cash flow, uh, called me a demagogue. In fact, maybe you can explain it uh, as I put it in context with what Justin Brannon called me on Friday with Sid Rosenberg in the morning. Curtis Lee, what comes on, talks about my district, talks about something that's just not true. It's just not true. That he, he gets on the radio and says, the mayor and I are planning to turn Sherwood Park into a migrant tent city. Absolutely false. But 
This is what demagogues do in times of crisis. So, Brendan, uh, how do you uh, how do you equate the definition of demagogue to what he was accusing me of there? Uh, sounds like he's throwing out, you know, fancy words because uh, he's on the defensive. Sounds like you got him on the ropes there, Curtis. Yep, yep. You couldn't be more hopelessly right, Brandon. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Donnie in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Donnie. I've seen a bunch of uh, people sleeping out on the street on Highland Boulevard who were like illegal aliens, like 10 of them on Staten Island. i never seen that before. And then you got the Hungerford School that's been taken over by illegal aliens. And you got mango ladies. I'm tripping over them from one spot to another. It's like i never seen nothing like this in my whole life. Yeah, well, actually, uh, Donnie, if you've been to L.A. for years, uh, it is an illegal alien city now. Most of the residents of the city of Los Angeles are illegals. They're out in the medians and the highways. Uh, when you're getting off uh, a road or you're getting on to a major uh, thoroughfare, they're selling oranges, they're selling mangoes, they're selling everything. We have them now in the subways. Uh, They're selling uh, the charro ladies, the mangoes, the all different kind of fruits. You want chips, whatever. And they're everywhere with their babies on their backs. They want you to feel sorry for them. They want you to buy purchases to help them. It's almost as if our city has changed almost within a period of just a year into looking like Los Angeles. Donnie, I don't want to look like Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I do appreciate that, Donnie. Donnie was a little subtle there. Unfortunately, a lot of folks in Staten Island, uh, the borough that I won in the election against Eric Adams, the only borough I won overwhelmingly. But in my recent trip out in Staten Island, I was seeing a lot of for sale signs, a lot of for sale signs in the North Shore, Mid-Island, South Shore, which is not a good sign. A lot of the people would come up and talk to me talking about moving to Florida. I must have heard that at least 10 times over this weekend. I'm moving to Florida. I had it. I'm out of here. Well, let me give you an idea why that might not be a bad idea, because in Florida, you have sheriffs who are elected. Everyone except, I think, for one. They're all in elected position they let their constituents know that they're never going to have, never going to have enough uh, uh, deputy sheriffs to respond to 911 calls. And telling you straight up, you got a right to stand your ground, defend yourself, and more importantly, you better do it because it may take them a month of Sundays to come to your aid. And as I said, you know, uh, if somebody's breaking into your house, you've got all the right in the world to defend yourself. So, um of course, he didn't get hit, and now we have to pay for him. So, Oh, God. <laughs> Could you imagine hearing that from any law enforcement personnel up here in our northeast sector? Uh, can't imagine in eastern Pennsylvania or Connecticut or New Jersey or New York. Can't imagine it in most places. Well, this sheriff, Bob Johnson, goes on to say, hey, look, we want you strapped and we'll teach you how to function as a strapped American. 
you know, it's just some people don't learn. I mean, this is for us. He's job security. I mean, we deal with him all the time. So hopefully this time he'll go and he won't get out. <laughs> it's a job security. Then the Bevard County Sheriff actually comes on TV once a week and plays the game on the news station of Wheel of Fugitive. That's right. You heard it right. Wheel of Fugitive. Okay, folks. Jesse Owen Curtis. Mr. Curtis is a white male, date of birth 4-7 of 87. His charges are failure to appear for hearing reference burglar of a dwelling, grand theft from a dwelling. He's got no bond. His last known location is the Palm Bay area. Now, Mr. Curtis, I'm not holding out a lot of hope for this because you've already failed to appear on your court date. So I'm just going to say this. You're either going out to the Brevard County Jail and turn yourself in, or we're going to come crash in your door wherever you're at, cuff you, stuff you in the car, and then take you out of the jail anyway. So go do the right thing. Go show the judge you're ready to get this chapter of your life behind you and stop messing up, stop making mistakes. If not, you know what happens. Was he talking about me? Was he talking about me, Curtis? No, it's a black dude. Most guys named Curtis are black. In fact, a lot of people, the first time they heard my name, if they hadn't actually seen a picture, thought that I was African-American, no doubt about it. But, hey, I love that. We should have a Wheel of Fortune on TV, like a Channel 5 or a Channel 11, you know, in the off hours, like at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, that would be great, man. Do you know where your uh, home invader is? We might actually be putting him on our criminal Wheel of Fortune tonight, and if all of a sudden it stops on his name, we're going to shoot him full of lead. Oh, (laughs) that would be so good. So good. And in Polk County, you try to do a home invasion, you're going to get lead poisoning. I would tell them if you value your life, you probably shouldn't do that in Polk County because the people of Polk County like guns. They have guns. I encourage them to own guns. And they're going to be in their homes tonight with their guns loaded. And if you try to break into their homes to steal, to set fires, I'm highly recommending they blow you back out of the house with their guns. So leave the community alone. Oh, that is so good. Oh, that is so good. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And then after raiding a neighborhood to try to get rid of the Fotsam and Jetsam and the uh, human uh, uh, human uh, mutants and cretins with t- chromosome damage, this is the head sheriff outside of Broward County talking about a particular guy that they were trying to track down. The guy, the guy is a career scumbag, and I talked to the neighbors around here, and they were probably, they were actually clapping when he came out to get him out of here. I, they told me that he was yelling at children that go down the street here, and every time a kid would ride his bike or walk by his house, he'd come out screaming and throwing furniture. You know, this is disgusting. The great residents of this county not only deserve better, but they're going to get better. Yeah, I wonder if the socialist mayor, brand new of Chicago, would have chastised him for calling criminals scumbags. And then the other sheriffs are always encouraging people to get weapons, guns, but to learn how to use guns because there is an ancillary benefit to the entire community. If you get a gun, you learn how to use a gun, and you're prepared to shoot someone who does a home invasion. Whoever that was, you're not in trouble. Come see us. We have a gun safety class we put on every other Saturday. And if you take that, you'll shoot a lot better, and hopefully you'll save the taxpayers' money. Mm. Mm. 
Can I hear that again? Because that's the kind of fighting spirit we need to propel other Americans to fight back. Whoever that was, you're not in trouble. Come see us. We have a gun safety class we put on every other Saturday. And if you take that, you'll shoot a lot better, and hopefully you'll save the taxpayers money. Oh, for sure. And then man who came to us at a moment in which we needed to see a symbol, Marine Daniel Penny from West Islip out in Long Island who just couldn't sit still in watching the mayhem on the train he was on, the F train, at 2.30 in the afternoon, I believe it was at the downtown Broadway Lafayette uh, station. Mr. Nearly came on. He was he was threatening. He's, he's a, I'm 6'2", and he was taller than me. So it was, and there's a common misconception that Marines don't get scared. We're actually taught uh, one of our core values is courage, and courage is not the absence of fear, but how you handle fear. And, you know, I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying, saying these threats. I couldn't just sit still. Absolutely. And Daniel Penny was scheduled to go on trial next year for second-degree manslaughter. Said he just couldn't sit still. Mr. Nearly came on. He was he was threatening. He's, he's a, I'm 6'2", and he was taller than me. So it was, and there's a common misconception that Marines don't get scared. We're actually taught uh, one of our core values is courage. And courage is not the absence of fear, but how you handle fear. And, you know, I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying, saying these threats. I couldn't just sit still. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. How differently people who stand their ground and fight back are treated in places like Florida and mistreated in places like New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Shoplifters. Rage Against the Boosters. Rage Against the Porch Pirates. That steal everything they could get their hands on. It's epitomized this week by the Sikhs. Don't mess with the Sikhs with their kerpons. Their knives, their ceremonial knives. And they always have these, like, uh, medallions hanging from their turbans in which they take it out and they throw it like martial arts stars. And if you're within 50 feet, man, they can knock you down and cut you up. And I just go back to outside of Stockton, these two Sikhs decided they had had it enough. It's this black guy comes in there with a rolling garbage can with a hefty trash bag in it. And he's knocking everything off the shelves, the cigarettes, the vape cartridges, the vapes, anything that he could steal. And he thinks he's on his way out like he's probably done dozens of times before, except this time. This big boy, Seek, tackles him. And then another Seek pulls out a rattan, 25-foot rattan, and then just starts to go to work, starts beating him like there's no tomorrow. Don't do that. Don't do that, man. Don't do that. So good. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> Hit him some more. Now, you get somebody like Al Slim Shady Sharpton who says that if we glorify this, if we all of a sudden start talking about it on a regular basis, like we were talking about Daniel Penny, the hero Marine for a while, who decided he had to protect himself and other passengers on that F train at 2.30 in the afternoon at Broadway Lafayette, it seems to be a, loft, a lifetime ago, and he put uh, Jordan Neely in a chokehold. Jordan Neely, who had been uh, profiled as if he was a a uh, Michael Jackson lookalike imitator. He hadn't done that in 10 years. Instead, he had been roaming the subways, the streets, the parks, had been rated one of the 50 most dangerous, emotionally disturbed homeless people in the subways. And yet... Uh, Jordan Neely was just not going to tolerate him potentially hurting himself and everybody else. But, oh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton, he has to be the one to say that if you do this, it's promoting vigilantism. You cannot let this go unaccounted for without really opening the door to legitimizing and giving a basis of vigilantism. This young man unarmed did nothing to anyone, didn't assault anyone, was disruptive, which happens every day on subways, and you're going to put him in a chokehold and hold him there for minutes at a time while two other people hold him down and kill him. This person uh, uh, should face a grand jury and the two people with him. Uh, luckily, they never snatched up the two good Samaritans. In fact, uh, Sharpton was referring to them as bad Samaritans. He wanted them arrested, too, and charged with murder, never mind second-degree manslaughter, which is what uh, uh, actually the hero Marine Daniel Penny is facing. Probably he'll be on trial before Man Manhattan jury sometime next year. Let's go to Steve in Southhold. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. 
Good morning. Basically, I just want to say that de Blasio, Lori Lightfoot, their function is to protect us from each other and the government. They're delinquent in that and how people are having to do this to take it in their own hands because of the government delinquency. And can I just go on one tension on Marine Penny? Sure. Uh, Neely's, Neely's lawyers said that they should have talked to him. Well, I got a friend who's a video producer, uh, Gideon Moncrief. He was in the New York Post. He decided to talk to an attacker on the subway. He got his face slashed eight inches. We just had to do a GoFundMe page for $100,000 to get his face put back together. Wow. And what was his name again, uh, Steve? Gideon Moncrief. Gideon. M-O-N-C-R. Right. Yeah, Moncrief. All right. So Gideon. And it's in the New York Post. Moncrest. M-O-N-C-R-I-E-F, as in Frank. Nice. So describe again what he did on a moving subway train. Okay, he took the advice of the lawyer from Neely. He went over to the gentleman and said, I'm like you, you know, can we talk about this? Well, he got his face slashed, eight-inch gash from his eye down to his chin. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, this is the fate of what happens. That's why I believe in a preemptive strike. You know, the preemptive uh, philosophy of war that was engaged in by Bush 43 when he invaded Iraq looking for the weapons of mass destruction that he's still looking for. That's a war. Uh, But down in a subway or in a park or out in the street, You have to profile people. They'll call you racist for doing that, but you have an innate divining rod in you. Even if you uh, are intellectually stupid and have no street smarts, everybody has this innate divining rod in you that can sense danger. We're an animal like every other animal in the community. They can sense danger. We can sense danger unless you decide to intellectualize your way out of it and thereby indicating that you're intellectually stupid. You may be book-learned. You may be good at taking tests. You may be good at extrapolating. But you can't turn off what every person is birthed with in this world, which is an innate ability to pick up on a vibe of somebody or some persons who have evil in their heart and an intent to do harm to you or to take whatever you have That's when you have to launch a preemptive strike. Now, uh, there are dangers involved in that, of course. There's the physical dangers uh, that you may get uh, beaten or stabbed or possibly shot. There's the danger of knowing that there are ten lawyers for every one citizen out there, and all day long they're practicing their martial art, I sue. And so they have a, a motivation to jack you up and jam you up for every nickel, dime, and penny you have. But knowing all that, knowing all the impediments, I don't know how somebody looks at themselves in the mirror if they wake up in the morning and they knew they could have gotten involved, they knew they could have done an intervention, they knew they could have stopped the violence, but they chose to MYOB. The biggest danger we have in the country is... People are apathetic. They are indifferent. They want to mind their own business, and we cannot do that as a society because we then get picked off individually. 
Throw the old standard, united you stand, divided you fall, us and we instead of I and me, really holds true in the streets. It's really incumbent that you do that. Because if you're going to extract an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which I believe Old Testament, I'm not a New Testament guy, it's going to require grouping up and fighting fire with more fire, with uh, such kind of force that one would think twice about ever violating anybody's rights or stealing or robbing or doing a home invasion or walking through a business and shoplifting or boosting, would think twice about doing that ever, ever again. Let's go to Marianne, who's calling from Indiana. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Marianne? Hello, Curtis. Um, it's just not happening in, in New York City. It happens here in Indiana also, in uh, Bloomington. Um, I have uh, people living on my front porch. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're kidding. They were squatting on your front porch? Yes. And this just happened, this, not just once, three times. And did you call the police at all? Yes, I did. They said, well, did you get a picture? And I said, no, I was running the call to police. I was running away. I didn't know I was supposed to take a picture. Right. You see, they put the onus on you. Like, somehow, because you didn't do what you were supposed to do, they can't respond and follow up, which is bull feathers. Bull feathers, Marianne. Anyway, let's go to Chris up in the Catskills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Uh did you see that news story uh, that was in the Post with uh, Riley Gaines, the female swimmer, saying that Leah Thomas was so well endowed that she had to look away? She was on a podcast with Bill Maher recently, and Bill Maher was trying to press her, well, how well hung was he? And uh, she said, well, it's proportionate to someone six foot four. But apparently they – I was reading the article, they tied – in their event in the uh, women's nationals. But, I mean, could you extrapolate that to, like, MMA fighting or, you know, professional boxing if it gets that far down the road where they, if they were to allow uh, men who are, I don't know, temporarily identifying as women to uh, go into the uh, women's uh, events for uh, boxing or MMA professional? Well... I guess uh, it has to do with their schlong factor, uh, Chris. Uh, just like uh, it is uh, with the swimmer Leah Thomas, it is affecting uh, the entire sports world, in uh, especially collegiate life. Is that if all of a sudden you have a schlong, you're wearing a jock strap because obviously if you're a male, this is what they want you to do to protect your three-piece set so it's not singing and ringing if all of a sudden you're playing football or you're playing volleyball or you're playing badminton. That could happen also. Although it's kind of difficult to understand how if you were to strike that badminton right into your three-piece set, how that would do any danger. Well, you might need an electron microscope and a tweezers to figure that out afterwards. But, uh, man, forcing... People to be in a locker room scenario or a bathroom scenario with women who clearly are still men. They haven't transitioned out. 
they haven't had their manhood removed. I'm sure we can find a veterinarian who will be more than happy to do the procedure as they do with uh, capons that are castrated roosters and thoroughbreds, some of which become, oh boy, geldings. Let's go to Lil calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lil. Hi, Curtis. Um, there's uh, immigrant families living in now on 14th Road in Broad Channel. They're renting a house for $3,000 from the city, and they, they bring in tons of mattresses in the house. They, they were shooting, the, shooting in the air and peeing over the neighbor's yard. And there's young children here, a lot of them, and the people ain't going to take it All right, on but 14th Road. On 14th Road in Broad Channel between Howard Beach and the Irish Riviera and the Rockaways. No, this is in Broad Channel on Cross Bay Boulevard. Ah, yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. So you got Howard Beach on one side. Right. And then you got the Rockaways on, on the, the other side. side. Exactly. Wow. So about how many again? Quite a few of them. They, somebody was saying about 10, maybe maybe even 15. <sighs> They're just bringing in mattresses after mattresses. Well, that's and why. drinking cockeyed drunk. Yeah, well, that's why, Lil, you had to be listening to Sid Rosenberg, uh, watching him at least on his appearance on the Lawrence Jones Cross Country Fox News program. I was out in the streets with Lawrence outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. Uh, then Lawrence uh, interviewed uh, Sid in studio, and when he was asked about fixing uh, the migrant issue, this is what he had to say. I mean, Curtis Sleva did something a couple of weeks ago, Lawrence. It would have made you cry. He was in Central Park, and there was a homeless person there, an American homeless person. Nobody cared about mm -hmm. this lady. There was no Roosevelt Hotel. There was no free Xbox. There were no Yankee tickets or a bottle of wine. She laid there like a piece of garbage, and nobody cared. And that's where this city, there are a bunch of hypocrites. Again, the mayor, the state with the governor, the city council, they act like they care. They don't care because... They go back to their fancy apartments, eat their fancy dinners, and people like you and I have to walk the streets and go to work every day. We have to deal with this, not them. And then Sid went on to riff about Eric Adams and other politicos. So as you talked about there with Curtis Sliwa, who's on my radio show 710 every morning, he's so great. You know, he's a sanctuary city, and then when they get here, he wants to be Santa. Now 100,000 in Lawrence, now he's complaining about the federal government, he's complaining about the state and Kathy Hochul. Look, it's very simple. He's got to call out the president, Joe Biden, by name, and he's got to call out Mayorkas to stop it at the border. But you know the truth, Lawrence, he's not going to do that. And why is that? Because these people mean votes, whether it's Mayor Adams in New York, Kathy Hochul, the city council in New York, or Joe Biden, these people mean votes. They care more about that than our health and safety. Wow, he gave me two shout-outs, not one. I scored the Daily Double. That is so incredibly different than normal. If given an opportunity at a national uh, forum, Sid Rosenberg has been known before to be Sid Hollywood Rosenberg and, like, eat up all the time for himself. In this case, with Lawrence Jones on Cross Country, Fox News Channel, he gave me a shout-out twice. That took away 
from his own talk time in which he was patting himself so hard on the back he'd have to go for a chiropractic adjustment that same day. Man, I'm going to have to be praising this guy to the umpteenth. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. To the break of dawn. theme song for Eric Adams' Swagger Man with No Plan. He's the mayor of the illegal aliens. He's not our mayor because the only thing he gives us is the invoice, the bill that we have to pay for with our taxes. And we get Ugats, bumpkins in return, and the illegal aliens get whatever it is they want and more. And it's always more and more. And he talks... As if he's a disruptor, not a uniter. 
But he also talks crazy. I've always said Bill de Blasio, eight years, he was lazy and corrupt. With Eric Adams, he's crazy and corrupt. Just think back. It's Saturday. Excuse me. Make it Sunday. What does Eric Adams do on Sundays? He pretends that all of a sudden God is touching him. God is speaking through him. He's speaking tongues because God has commanded him to function as a mayor. 30-something years ago, I woke up in my sleep, out of my sleep in a cold sweat. Mm. God spoke to my heart and said, you are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. What? And the message was clear. God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Everyone. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Because when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you who you are. Hmm. Well, I guess commanded by God. Why am I complaining? Why are the rest of you complaining? 1-800-848-9222. But his fallback position, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, is that he is the perfectly imperfect child. I am the perfectly imperfect child of God that shows the power of God. What? Can I hear that again? I am the perfectly imperfect child of God that shows the power of God. So when all of a sudden you want more, in God we trust, money, I should assume when you say this that it's God speaking through you? Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Is that God talking? I hear it again. Can I hear God speaking through you in tongues? Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Mm, Reverend Ike, that's what he used to say. He was on this stage of the old Lowy's there in Washington Heights. The theater's still there. The Reverend Ike... Uh, a stage is still there. Used to come out on that stage. Used to say, "Show me the money." And a lot of his parishioners would say, "But, but, Reverend Ike, you know, money is—it's the devil. It's the devil." And he said, "Well, give me every bill you've got, whether it's Washington, whether it's Hamilton, whether it's Lincoln, and I want to get rid of that devil out of your money. But you're going to have to give it to me." And then all of a sudden, from being super serious like a heart attack, Eric Adams can do what he claims, which is, what is he called? Not flip-flop. That's what it used to be. No. Oh, no. Pivot and shift. And all of a sudden be a goofball right outside in that plaza, right outside of the old Reverend Ike, Lowy's Church. There is a, a sort of little mini mall there, and let me tell you, they blaze away, and as Eric Adams comes out of there after imitating Reverend Ike for the day, he comes up with this cogent observation. Because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. <laughs> Someone is smoking. <laughs> and he cracks up at the most inopportune times. Like the other day, threatening uh, every neighborhood that they may have to put up a tent near them, 
their, near their own homes to house illegal aliens. A super serious uh, situation. He was cracking up about the tents. Couldn't stop laughing. The reporter was trying to pin him down. Well, where are the tents going to? Didn't matter. Eric Adams was speaking in tongues and laughing with the devil. With their tents up and down every street. Come on, but I, but I like burning. We're going to roll out. We're going to roll out the next phase of our operation. We're going to publicly let it let it be known. Fabian hates when I. <laughs> God, what a goofball! What a goofball! And so, if I call him a goofball, a crackpot, say he sort of at times sounds like a kid who just rolled up his first joint in junior high school of ragweed. Immediately, he turns the tables on me and anybody else who criticizes him. All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. Can I hear that again? All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. Hold on a second. I need it one more time. All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. Wait a second. Uh... I hate to tell you, I've never been a waiter. I wouldn't know what to do in waiting a table. Hey, let's go for, well, not quite the Quinella. Let's go four times. All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. (laughs) (laughs) He's rhyming. He's the rhyming mayor. He's the hip-hop mayor as he is self absorbed himself into the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, he sees himself as being one of them. And then, naturally, when push comes to shove, when his back is against the wall, as he has really cajoled and accused quite a few older women of not being fair and square with him, which doesn't, doesn't look good. It's not a good image. This is a fallback position. He always blames it on his mother. And she would say to me, baby, don't you ever let someone disrespect you. And no matter where I am, mommy transitioned almost two years ago. But I hear her every time someone think they're going to step up and disrespect me. Mommy said, don't you ever let someone disrespect you. You better stand up, boy. As my son would say, you better recognize. What a Mama Luke. I thought Frank Morano was the biggest Mama Luke that I've ever heard from. My God, there was Frank Morano walking his dog, house watching for his mother as she was away on vacation. So what did the Mama Luke Frank Morano do? He went into the basement. He lit up an illegal cohiba, fell asleep. The house burned down. And then all of a sudden, Mama comes home. She doesn't blame Mama's little bambino. She actually absolves him of all responsibility, gives him penance. It's not what we're going to do for Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. It's not what we're going to do. For instance, the mayor gets heckled now all the time, all the time. He was at the lift of Ujulio. North Williamsburg, 
He had been there the year before, no boots. This time, boots. And he doesn't take it well. He's got a thin skin. Wherever he goes, he gets booed. He was outside of his self-created migrant center at the Roosevelt Hotel after giving the corrupt Pakistani government $275 millions to lease all the rooms for the homeless and emotionally disturbed, not for the illegals, for a full three years. And I got to tell you that hiding behind his mom does no good, especially when he gets heckled, as is the norm of late. And then he says freaky deaky things. Mr. Mayor, yes, sir. Uh, Four year old man, Curtis, is now no response. You asshole! She said, I'm messing with homeless people. You know that? You know, one should be, one should be happy if someone wants to make love to them. You know? <laughs> Go ahead. What the hell was that? What the hell was that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Crystals painted pure and white 
a multi-million dollars, almost overnight. Twice as sweet as sugar, twice as bitter as salt. And if you get hooked, baby, it's nobody else's fault, so don't do it. Oh, yeah. Grandmaster Flash, without the Furious Five, and M and M, meaning Melly Mel. Classic, white lines, what is that short for? Coquina, cocaine. And cocaine was just tearing people up in the 80s. First thought as a conic elixir to give you a simple uh, pick-me-up, expensive as it was. Could go to a high-end party and it would be uh, in peanut butter jars, Jif jars, Peter Pan jars. It didn't matter. It was there for everybody to use. It was considered sort of like a boost, a boost. Nobody thought there was anything wrong with it. Most people couldn't afford it. And then all of a sudden, people were starting to get hooked on it. And now you saw a completely different look. On the face of people who were hooked on the white lines. And then for those who couldn't afford the white lines, the Dominicans up in Washington Heights were saying, yo, we got to create a product off of cocaine that is affordable by the masses that can be easily consumed. Maybe beamed up uh, yourself to Scotty in that glass pipe with two rocks. And they invented crack cocaine. How did they do it? They started to experiment. It was a great American white lines experiment. Take a little power cocaine, put it in a tray with baking soda, and bake it. And then once it rises as if it had yeast in the dough, then chip away at it. Have little chips, smoke it. It was a cheaper form of cocaine that the masses could afford, but highly addictive. And that's how you ended up with crack cocaine. But the reason that I play this song is that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, if there is one thing he has done excessively well, it is being the mayor of nighttime in New York City because it's all about him. He almost every night goes to the club Zero Bond. He's talked about it. He's bragged about it. It's a private club. Private clubs have popped up all over in the five boroughs because they have the ability basically to say that you must be a member. And if you're not a member or you haven't been invited by a member, you have to stay on the outside looking in. And what is the importance of these private clubs? Well, whatever happens in a private club stays in a private club. And with Eric Adams going there generally about 12 midnight and not leaving until about 2.30, sometimes 3.00. Almost till the break of dawn. I know what goes on behind those closed doors. Plenty of cocaine, plenty of other drugs, plenty of sex with whomever it is you wish to have sex with. Man, woman, child, frozen vegetables, whatever it is. That's what a private club is for, to basically uh, cater to your decadence and debauchery. And it's a place that has a strange pull. On Eric Adams, he says, well, it's there that I can chill out 
you know, I can uh, uh, sort of leave business behind at City Hall. Wrong. It's there you can go anonymously without being scanned, without somebody looking at your ID, maybe with somewhat of a troubled background who could suddenly sit with the mayor of the city of New York and cut a deal. Cut a deal that's not going to be helpful to us, but it's going to be helpful to the person cutting the deal and the mayor and all of his sickle fans, toadies and lackeys, who will definitely get a gratuity in return, a.k.a. a kickback. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Marianne, who's calling from Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marianne. Hi, Curtis. You're too funny sometimes, I must say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. <laughs> I I called I called to give you my take on why they're calling you a demagogue. And yeah, yeah. Well, also- first off, well, first off, uh, just get me back on beat. I know one of our previous callers explained to me what a demagogue is, but what is a demagogue, Marianne? Yeah. No, no, yeah. I'm I'm saying, what is a demagogue? Oh, well, you know what it is? You have the gift of discernment, okay? Mm. You know who you're looking at, and they know that when you're looking at them, you see who they really are, and that's what's pissing them off. So the reason they call you a demagogue is because you're over the target, mm. see? Mm. And all those that are whizzing in your cornflakes, are know, they know that you see who they really are. Now, Marianne, what makes you think that I am a Kellogg's K guy eating my cornflakes from Battle Creek, Michigan? <laughs> Well, that's just a saying, that's all. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt it's probably a saying in Pennsylvania. But remember, Tony the Tiger says, Sugar Frosted Flakes are great! I got a I got a prayer for you. Oh, okay. An Irish prayer. Oh, please, please do. I need Irish prayers. I've, I've disparaged so many Irish guys in my time. I need an Irish prayer. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. May those that love us, love us. And those that don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he can't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankle, so we'll know them by their limp. Oh, yeah, and there were so many Irish cops who couldn't chase somebody. they take take out their wooden shampoo stick, hit you in the kneecap, and then they would say, don't worry about it. We'll catch up to him. He'll, he'll make it maybe three blocks. He'll be limping. Then we'll throw him into the paddy wagon. You couldn't be more hopelessly correct, Marianne. Well, you stay who you are, Curtis, okay? I don't know how to be anybody else. By the way, which yeah. part of Pennsylvania are you from, Marianne? Um, nice town. Which one? Oh, right. You know where um, Ninth and the Boulevard is? No. Roosevelt Boulevard, Hunting Park? No. Well, it's it's northeast, northeast uh, Philly. No, oh wait a second, hold yeah, on. Hey. I thought you said nice. No, northeast Philly. Yeah, what are you oh, main line? What are you on the main line? No, no, dear. No, no. So you're shanty Irish, not lace Irish. No, I'm in the city. Oh, okay. Well, look, I'm still in the city. Born and raised oh, here. God. I'm only five years older than you. I know, I know, but hey, Philly, oh. Oh, does it have problems? I 
I know. We're having the same problems that you have in there and, you know. Yeah, no, no, no. I feel for you. In fact, I'm going to say an Irish prayer for you. That's all I had to say. St. Patty's. That, that was my Irish prayer. That's it. Hey, look, he cast out the snakes, didn't he? And by the way, St. Patrick's, you all, is a form of idolatry in the land of era, era. He was Italian. I hate to break and bust your bubble, but St. Patrick of Assisi was Italian. You see, when he, when he went to Ireland, they knocked off the of Assisi. So it became St. Patrick. It was St. Patrick of Assisi. He's Italian. Accept it. That's the way it is. Look, it's an I. That's all you need to know. It's not Ireland. It's Italy. You're, you're both Roman Catholics, right? Don't worry about it. You're the same. You don't like one another. I get it. But just learn to live with it. Let's go to Dave in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, hi, Curtis. Uh, hey, listen, uh, follow, follow me along here for a second. Eric Adams talks about uh, God spoke to him. God is a title, just like a mayor or uh, a king. It's a title. It's, it's not a name. God has a name. Okay, now he's not, he doesn't suggest it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Yeshua, or Yahweh, or anything like that. Now, and in the Old Testament, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods, plural, before me. It doesn't say have no other god, it's plural. And the reason is that there's a fallen angelic race that are gods, little g. So he could be communicating with somebody he calls God, but it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So my question would be, who is it? Well, first off, I need to geographically pinpoint to which part of Pennsylvania you're from, Dave. Uh, you ever hear of something called Pottstown? Yes, I have. Pottstown, PA, yes. Yeah, I'm right next to that in a place called Stowe. That I never heard about other than Stowe, Vermont. Right, right. Cause, uh, everybody says that. But I tell but, you what, uh, Dave, you know, let's listen to the Holy Roller. Let's listen to a man who was gripped, he said, in the body of Jesus Christ, so much so that God would actually communicate with him on a regular basis. Thirty-something years ago, I woke up in my sleep, out of my sleep in a cold sweat. In a cold sweat. God spoke to my heart and said, mm. you are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. Wow. And the message was, God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Because when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you, who you are. Hmm. Hmm. So what do you make of that, Dave? Well, it's, it's, it's like I said, I mean, I, I, I don't know what God he's talking about. If you don't identify him by name and just use the title, it could be any fallen angelic being. That's true, but I will tell words, you this about the politician, Eric Adams. Depending on what group he is saying that in front of, if it's Muslims, it'll be 
Allah. If it's Jews, it'll be Hashem. If it's Christians, it'll be JC. He will sculpt his message to that group, hoping to walk away with a lot of money. In fact, what is uh, Eric Adams' battle cry ever since he was first elected to the state Senate and was sworn into office in 2000? Before family and friends and media, and most importantly, the lobbyists who are prepared to wine them, dine them, and pocket line them as they do like vultures and buzzards surrounding the new class and the old class. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Let's go to Frank in the Highlands. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frankie. Yeah, hi, Curtis. It's amazing um, that you use the word sculpt uh, when uh, the translation is just being responsible. But I wanted to talk to you about stickball. Were you a good hitter? Yes, uh, although unlike others who lie and say they hit three sewers or more, even with a strong gust of wind behind me, two and a half sewers max, the the idea in stickball was to keep the ball low, keep it low, keep it at eye level, hit line drives, because if I hit a long, high fly that keeps going that the wind gets under and it takes it two and a half, three sewers, it gives somebody an opportunity to float under it and catch it. Whereas if you hit line drives, oh, man, very difficult to catch. Well, I'm talking about a stickball that you use a real hard rubber baseball, and it's a box, and there's automatics, and there's a fence. And uh, we would go to real baseballs uh, in tournaments. Uh, we would uh, use some of this funding uh, to uh, to try to um, really help the situation that we're in, uh, all ages. Um, and uh, you would be a coach, uh, uh, and then I would be a coach. We would be opposing coaches. Uh, but this would actually take people off the street, mm, kids, mm, and we could find out, you mm. know, what's going on with them, too. And it would be something that, you know, I mean, like, God forbid he isn't in there getting high on cocaine. God forbid you're wrong, and we do bring the numbers on his watch down in records. You know, and that, you know, see, you and I, we do differ, but I have so much respect for you. Oh, but I I likewise for you because, Frank, you mentioned a game you play, not with a Spalding, not with a Pensy Pinky, not with a clincher, 13-inch softball or a hardball, but a sponge ball, not SpongeBob SquarePants, a sponge ball. Feels like a baseball, except it's a bit rubberized. You throw it against the box that you uh, essentially uh, you uh, chalk in to the wall. And then you play balls and strikes that way. If the ball lands in the box and you don't swing, it's a strike. Obviously, just like in baseball, you foul it off, it's a strike. You make contact, we'll see where it goes as to whether it's in play, it's not in play, whether it's considered an out or whether it is considered uh, an actual double or a triple, or heavens to Betsy, maybe even a home run. Yes, for over uh, 12 years, I was appointed the stickball commissioner of the city of New York, first by Mayor Rudy Giuliani, my kumbadicic, for eight, 
And then for Michael Bloomberg, about four. And then that's when the contest began to fade the uh, ability of locals to pass down the knowledge that they had uh, of stickball ability to their children and children's children began to cease and desist. The Puerto Ricans, the last group to help keep stickball alive on Stickball Boulevard, which is right behind Adley Stevenson High School in the heart of the South Bronx, right down from the Kipps Bay's Boys Club. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. who's now AARP like so many rappers. 50 years of hip-hop. By the way, uh, he took a knee to Black Lives Matter. I wonder if he also enjoyed the profits of big, large mansions, of which he has one his own, that he got as a degenerate hip-hop monster. But who stood up for me? Oh, my God. I'm getting all my phone is blowing up. Who stood up for me? Wasn't Slim Shady. Hell no. It was Sid Hollywood Rosenberg, better known as Sidney Hollywood Rosenberg, because of all the big screen attention he's getting now. Gemini Lounge, the red carpet treatment this Friday at a theater in Brooklyn that has not been turned into a black nor Hispanic Pentecostal uh, house of worship. No, one of the few remaining. And then featured in Gravesend that you can see see like on the boob tube every week. The guy is heading off to the Hollywood Hall and Walk of Fame. And uh, he stood up for me. Where did he stand up for me? On the Lawrence Jones cross-country show at Fox News Channel airing on Saturday night, 9 o'clock East Coast time. And my phone was blowing up. People were saying, the man is standing up for you. The man is testifying. The man is speaking on your behalf. 
I mean, Curtis Sleeper did something a couple of weeks ago, Lawrence. It would have made you cry. He was in Central Park, and there was a homeless person there, an American homeless person. Nobody cared about this lady. There was no Roosevelt Hotel. There was no free Xbox. There were no Yankee tickets or a bottle of wine. She laid there like a piece of garbage, and nobody cared. And that's where this city, there are a bunch of hypocrites. Again, the mayor, the state with the governor, the city council, they act like they care. They don't care because... They go back to their fancy apartments, eat their fancy dinners, and people like you and I have to walk the streets and go to work every day. We have to deal with this, not them. But he didn't stop right there. He went on and on. And as Slim Shady, Eminem, said, he stood up for me. He stood up for me. He said he talked about that with Curtis Sliwa, who's on my radio show 710 every morning. He's so great. You know, he's a sanctuary city, and then when they get here, he wants to be Santa. Now 100,000 in Lawrence. Now he's complaining about the federal government. He's complaining about the state and Kathy Hochul. Look, it's very simple. He's got to call out the president, Joe Biden, by name, and he's got to call out Mayorkas to stop it at the border. But you know the truth, Lawrence. He's not going to do that. And why is that? Because these people mean votes, whether it's Mayor Adams in New York, Kathy Hochul, the city council in New York, or Joe Biden. These people mean votes. They care more about that than our health and safety. Yo, my phone was blowing up. People telling me, yo, Sid, Sid stood up for you. It's like Slim Shady said, standing up. Who's standing up? Well, it was Sid for Curtis Lee on Lawrence Jones Saturday night across country on the Fox News Channel. But just as my phone was blowing up, so was his sometime friend, part-time friend, friend for life. I don't know what kind of a friend Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan is, but it was like Ebony and Ivory for a while here on WABC. But it seems they've had a bit of a parting of the ways of late. I do expect that they will be getting back again together on these airwaves. But in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy the fact that Sid Hollywood Rosenberg is standing up for me. But I'll tell you how Eric Adams is dissing and dismissing his uh, homeboy, Sidney Rosenberg, Hollywood. All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. (laughs) Wait a second. What the hell does that mean? All my haters become my waiters. When I sit down at the table of success, he said that tonight once he was informed that Sid, his fair-weather friend, was giving tactical air support to Curtis Sliwa. Can I hear that again? All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. You know why that was directed at Sid? I know it was directed at Sid. And Sid knows it was directed at him. This is inside Sidney Hollywood Rosenberg info. If you listen to Sid enough, as you always should, as I do, Monday through Friday from 6 to 10, you'll know that on occasion he tells you that he was a waiter. He served the Altacacas down in Boca Raton, the sixth borough of the city of New York. It was a seafood restaurant. There he was serving crabs, crab legs. There he was serving lobster. There he was serving trafe, clams, oysters. Oh, God. Can you imagine Sidney Rosenberg as a waiter? Man, he's going to give you a, 
a hard time for what you just ordered from the menu. But that statement, once again, I need to hear it from the lips of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, part-time friend, sometime friend of Sidney Hollywood Rosenberg, who at times when he would hook up with Eric Adams, it would be like a modern-day edition of Ebony and Ivory. All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. What the hell does that mean? But I guess it rhymes, so the mayor's going to say that because he's a hip-hop mayor. Oh, wow. The Maginot line is in the sand. Eric Adams is not going to want to share Sid Rosenberg with me. I'm telling you that. At one point, I could have swore they were lip-locking, swapping spit. They were going out, and they were dining together and admiring one another like two peacocks strutting around, looking in the mirror and saying, whoa, I like your Joseph Abood style, your garb. From New Bedford, Massachusetts, Joseph Abood. In fact, the man, when I had conversations with him and we talked about Fall River and New Bedford, Massachusetts, I said, ha ha, oh yeah. I know. I He said, what do you know? I said, I know that you probably have hired quite a few of those in the in your factory where you prepare the garb for Sid Rosenberg. I know it's customized for Sid, but for everyone else. That you uh, hire the Portuguese. I said, ha, yeah, they're good, they're good. And the Cape Verdeans, oh, they're the best. So you see, I got it. But you need to know that oftentimes when Eric Adams has been out with uh, Sidney Hollywood Rosenberg, they've been like two peas in a pot, a soup and a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. They have a, a narcissistic complex. Is that, am I, a narcissistic complex? But it sounds like, ever so slowly, Sidney Hollywood Rosenberg is uh, extricating himself, breaking away. Because I think he recognizes that there are greater things out there for him than uh, to sit down at a meal with Eric Adams that Adams never pays for, neither does Sid. But it basically, it's on the cuff. He's already imagining he's at the Chateau Mammon. You know what the Chateau Mammon is? And the bungalows there. He's imagining as Robin Williams would go in and out with Robert De Niro and, of course, the great comedian himself, Albanian by birth, John Belushi. And I have to warn him off. I have to say the demons are out there, Said You cannot go into the bungalows of Chateau Mammon. Off Sunset Boulevard, I've been there many times. It's not a place for you to be. Said I cancel my recommendation that you go to Hollywood. Your place to be is WABC because after you uh, put me on a pedestal on national TV, on the Fox News channels, Lawrence Jones, Cross Country, and devoted so much talk time to me and not to yourself, why would I want you to go to Hollywood? I want you to go on TV all the time and praise me. Yeah. What the hell did Eric Adams uh, say about Sid Rosenberg again? It's like, directed right at him. 
All my haters become my waiters when I sit down at the table of success. See what he was saying directly to Sid, not to you, not to me, because we didn't understand it. We don't have that kind of relationship. Saying, Sid, you used to be my Maytag, my waiter. When I wanted that jumbo shrimp from Red Lobster, who delivered it to me at my table? You, Sid. When I wanted those giant crab legs that Frank Morano just salivates over. You served me, Sid, when I wanted my lobster, and I wanted it with the butter, the brine. Who brined up my lobster, Sid? You were my Maytag. Sid has extricated himself. He has cut the umbilical cord. He has stood up. He has aligned himself with Eric Adams' worst nightmare, Curtis Lewa. Oh, man. I'll be back later on, as I am every day here at WABC. I come back at 8. It's 8 to 10. I'll be talking about shoplifting, the experience that Nancy had to to stop a shoplifter or not to shop stop a shoplifter. That was the question. You can go to my Facebook page, and you can actually see Nancy Sliwa in action. We'll talk about that. And then Nancy's so nice, she does it twice will join me as she does each and every weekend on Sundays, 10 to 11. The Animal Welfare Hour, the most listened to, called into, most requested of the many hours that I do at WABC, where WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting. Curtis. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.